hey, this is your Hall of Famer from the Legion of Doom Road Warrior Animal, and you're listening to another episode of Oh, What a Rush Podcast. Now, we all know that Raw 25 years is coming up here, and so we're going to get on and talk about some of the stories of the LOD, our first appearances on Raw, and some of the fun stories in back, some of the not-so-fun stories, but either way, it's going to be one hell of a ride. Tell him, Hawk! He's one half of the Road Warriors and the Legion of Doom, the most successful tag team in the world of professional wrestling. He's held the AWA, NWA, WCW, and WWF titles. He snacked on danger and dined on death. He's Road Warrior Animal, Joe Laurinaitis, and this is the What A Rush Podcast. Now, here's your host, Joe Roderick. And welcome back in to another episode of the What A Rush Podcast with Road Warrior Animal, Joe Laurinaitis. I am your host, Joe Roderick, here for another week, joined by the WWE Hall of Famer. He is Animal. What's up, Joe? Joe, what's going on, man? Hey, how deceiving is it outside right now? Looks beautiful. Birds are flying. Sun is out. But... It feels like freaking Alaska here in St. Louis. You know what? It was 2 this morning when I got up to go lift, so uh, yeah, it's like 17 now. I'm going to take it. You know, someone told me to quit bitching, right? The other day I looked at Minnesota. The normal temperature, no wind chill, was minus 28. I don't want to hear that shit. You know, minus because, 28, okay. bro. So we're working on getting you up there for Super Bowl week. I'm already going up there. I mean, the house is already purchased that we're renting for the week. I already have all the plans to everything that we're that we're doing. It's just a matter of how we get you to fly in there for the uh, for the few days that we're going to be doing our work there. And I'm looking at this and it's it's 11 degree or minus 11. Yeah. Minus 11 there. Why oh, I got to ask I'm going to ask you this because I plan on asking people when we're up there. Why the hell did you decide to live up there all those years? Like, what, what are listen, you thinking? Listen, my dad was a Honeywell lifer, right? He worked for Honeywell. He was a corporate vice president and moved us there when I was 16 years old. I really didn't have much of a choice. And, man, I stayed there. You know, one thing – hey, listen, one thing good about Minnesota, I will say, Minnesota three weeks of summer, yeah. Three weeks of summer. <laughs> they got beautiful golf courses those three weeks. Yeah. Everything turns from gray to green. But, no, the school systems there for kids is one of the best public school systems in the nation. They're always rated in the top one, two, or three in public schools in education, right? So, well, which is probably why, because there's nothing else to do except exactly. sit inside and read and learn and go on a computer. Right. <laughs> you know, Nobody's going to skip class because what are you nah, going to do, go outside? No. like that's In high school, in my high school, it was three different buildings for my high school with the parking lot was in the middle. So you'd look outside and there'd be kids skipping class in the middle of the parking lot because, yeah. you know, in spring and summertime, it's somewhat warm outside. You're not going to do that in Minnesota. You're not going to go sit outside and skip class. Not you're just going to class to stay warm. Unless you're going to go put your skates on and go skating. But <clears> you listen, the school that my kids went to, bro, you got to understand, there was 1,100 to 1,200 kids per grade level. So it was like a small community college, right? Jeez. And so nobody could afford to skip. And now in schools, man, when you get through the door, 
After that bell rings, they give you 15 minutes. That thing's on lockdown. Oh my gosh. And then you got you got to press a special buzzer. that has got a camera that looks in. So man, the good it's good to have security like that. Yeah, man. Minnesota is going to be cold. But hey, chance of the Vikes making it to the Super Bowl. They got to beat the Eagles. Now the Eagles are tough, but you never know, bro. It can happen. A, uh, and, you know, two quarterbacks there with the Vikings. Uh, actually, well, all three quarterbacks in the game. When you look at Nick Foles, Case Keenum, and uh, Sam Bradford in the game this Sunday, all three guys that your your son uh, played against uh, in, yeah. uh, with the Rams, or I guess practiced against and was teammates with when he was yeah, on the Rams. Man, they were on the same team, man. Go figure, right? Hey. Chris Long has not lost a playoff game since he left the Rams. I I mean, James and him, I mean, they grew up and they, you know, they suffered together with the Rams. So I'm I'm guessing that they're somewhat close and they have that relationship. But Chris Long has left and hasn't lost a playoff game since on the, now on the Eagles. Last year with the Patriots, now with the Eagles. I mean, you you know, someone like James, someone like Chris has to look back and be like, what the hell was going on in St. Louis? I'm sure James is kicking himself in the butt now, man. Wishes he would have went to a different team other than, uh, New Orleans, right? But hey, you know, hey, good for Chris. You know, James and Chris, you know, they did the the uh, trophies, you know, mm-hmm. thing in college, right? I mean, they were at the yeah. Nagurski Awards together, the Buskets Award together, the Defensive Alignment of the Year together, all those awards, right? And um, Bicknerick and all that stuff. And you know, they always they that's where I saw him. That's where I first met Howie Long. Right. I mean, Howie's a monster, bro. He's like six six, and he still his hands are like shaking Andre's hands. You're I calling got, you're saying Howie Long? That's one guy. I got big hands, really. But Howie's got monstrous hands. They swallow mine, really. Oh yeah, I could imagine when he was rushing somebody on the end and slapping that helmet had to feel like a like a two by four. Wow, I that's one guy. I've never met. I've this is going to be my seventh year doing that, and through that and doing radio in St. Louis, I've met a lot of current athletes, former athletes, and there are a lot of guys that are just m- monstrous humans. I, I mean, you know, people, you know, they they saw you in the ring all those years, and you're still, you know, as big as you were then. And I, I think people, you know, look at how you know think Road War Animal, and they think this, you know, big huge guy. I'm I'm telling you, go stand next next to Jonathan Ogden. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan Ogden is probably the largest human that I've ever stood near. Former offensive lineman for the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Sure, yeah. Uh, I've standing ever... next to him, it's just like you're just looking up, and yeah. it's it's unbelievable. The way it is, every time you know after the game's done, there's a parent section there for the Rams, right? And every time we go back there, I'd see Howie there with his wife, and I look at Howie and I said, "Man, what an unusually big!" Guy. And you don't realize how big he is until the closer you get. Then it's almost like. This caveman appeared, <laughs> you know. And another guy too is um, John Alt. You remember Kansas City Chief offensive tackle John Alt? I know the name. Yeah, yeah. John Alt played uh, high school basketball against my brother John. Okay. And uh, John Alt is another guy that's just deceivingly big. You know, when we spent a lot of time with a lot of NFL guys, you know, you got Mondo, you know, who 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 was one of the four horsemen, you yeah. know, played for the Bears, you know, and. And we, we had a lot of good stuff going on. We had Zubas back then. We used to give the Bears mm-hmm. and the Dolphins, all these teams, Zubas. You gave me my first pair of Zubas last week. Yeah, I got a uh, got a pair of the black ones. Uh, you can't really see the zebra stripes on those, but you got me the blue and the gold ones. I'm going to wear those to a Blues game. Yeah, you Listen, man, it's, it's going to be fun to be back in Minneapolis. Maybe we'll stop by my uh, my old partners, you know, uh, Dan Stock and Bob Truax, they're a comic clothing where they, they handle Zubaz now and uh, make a visit. Maybe we can get them on a podcast, man, talk about the good old days and stuff. Yeah, that's I – mean, it's really – I mean, it really is something like to – 
go around and meet a lot of these, you know, meet a lot of the wrestlers that I've had a chance to meet now since working with you and sizing them up with other professional athletes, other guys of size. It's funny, you know, baseball players, a lot of them, you know, the baseball, you could play that at like any size, yeah. really any size. Yeah. Football players, you have to be a big guy. Yeah, there, there's the exceptions. I mean, you know, Danny Amendola, who yeah. played with James oh, yeah. all those years, sure. not a big guy, but, you know, he figured out how to use his size for what he heart, does. Bro. Right. A lot of heart, man. <laughs> right. you know, I, tell you, I tell you what's surprising now. You look, the mystique of a baseball player being a tiny guy, or remember, like back in the past, hockey players mm-hmm. used to be touted as being little men. Yeah. Bro, the new athlete today, mm-hmm. are they're huge. I remember when Ohio State was recruiting James for football and they went and watched him skate. James was, you know, 6'3", 231 off of skates. Can imagine when you put another two inches, three inches of height on a guy like that, that kind of weight, and you know you're hand cleaning over three hundred or you know three hundred and forty pounds, you could do some damage on the ice, man. And that the new athlete today is just bigger, faster, better, stronger, man. It's yep. incredible. One of the uh, one of the things that we're hoping to get to up in Minneapolis is a uh, the purple and gold big game kickoff. A uh, a guy in Irondale alum actually is putting on the event, and if you're able to uh, make it out there, you'll be one of the I, I guess 50 Minnesota pro athletes that'll be going to the event. Cool. They got, Who's uh, putting it on? They uh, it is at sb23productions.com. sb23productions.com is the website. You uh, head to that. If you're going to be in the Minnesota area, if you're listening to us in the Minnesota area, uh, it's a Thursday night event hosted by former Vikings defensive end Talent Sawyer at the uh, at the Mermaid Event Center in Moundsview. The Mermaid, man. I remember going to the Mermaid when I was a young buck full of piss and vinegar. Yeah, the Mermaid was a frequent stop. I actually even put in a job application for the Mermaid one time. Just to be a, a bouncer or a mermaid? Like you were going to get no, in the water? Oh, okay. No, no, I, I couldn't fit the scales. The scales wouldn't fit right on the mermaid tail, bro. I, and I didn't want to stay in the fish tank all day. No, man, I, to be a bouncer, yeah. actually to be a busboy, anything, you know, because they had a – but memory, pretty rough crowd at the mermaid, though. It's really? Not, it wasn't exactly – wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a mom-pa's shot, bro. I mean, the mermaid was a pretty rough – Pretty rough crowd. Well, on the Thursday before the Super Bowl, they are going to uh, be having an event there. You go to sb23productions.com and you can uh, you can get your hookup on the tickets for uh, for that. And Again, that's an Irondale alum. That's an Irondale alum that is putting on the event. Well, the Irondale listener. alum needs to contact you. Yeah, for me being an Irondale alum. Well, he, I'm, it, I'm reading yeah. this from him. I'm reading oh, this from Jeremy. He's a listener of the podcast, and he awesome. reached out to us about this because he is a listener of the podcast. He's a fan of yours, and he's an Irondale alum. That's so that crazy. is why he wants you to be there. And I told him, I said, if we can get Joe there, he will be there at this event, one of the uh, many athletes you know, that are going to be bes- there. Besides Randy Rasmussen, who was a Minnesota Gopher and played on the Minnesota yeah. Vikings for a while and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I didn't think anybody else ever even graduated from Irondale, so that's uh, great. He says alum, so <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm guessing he he got the credit hours for uh, for this. So that is uh, him. Hey, I haven't even mentioned yet, today on the show, we are going to be talking all about the Legion of Doom on Monday Night Raw. So it's uh, coming up on this Monday. It is Raw 25. A few guests from the podcast, The Godfather and Ted DiBiase, will be there. Your brother is going to be on there, Johnny. Sure. Uh, is going to be on the uh, – it's going to be on Raw 25. So they will. You know uh, what I like to see them do, though, Joe. I mean, it's a great achievement to be on Raw Twenty Five, right? But I would love to see in some of the ads, man, promote a tag team. 
Do Dwayne Outlaws are going to be there. Well, the Dwayne Outlaws. I'm saying prevent. Do a top tag team then. <laughs> oh, okay. You know what I mean? Get somebody like, you know, the Hart Foundation or Legion of Doom or, you know, someone else in there besides somebody that's friends with the booker or the boss. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everything you see with the announcing is all about singles guys. It's all singles guys promoting the thing, you know? I don't – I know – I believe the APA is going to be there too. Uh, so well, that would Bradshaw be, that would will be, be there. Bradshaw and Ron Simmons And Ron Simmons will, yeah. uh, will be there. I can't recall. I don't think I saw the Dudleys were on the list. So I'm, I don't want to say yes or no to that, and I'm not about to go look that up either. So – uh, because you know what, I don't want to make a, uh, I don't want to have another correction I have to make this week. I, I was wrong on who the owners were of Impact Wrestling. It's no longer TNA; it is now Impact Wrestling. Global Force is not in. Uh, I was the wondering owner what you them. were saying with that. Okay, Anthem is now the owners of Impact Wrestling, based out of Toronto. So it is now a Canadian-owned company that uh, that owns Impact Wrestling. Oh. So I was wrong about that. I want to make sure I'll I bet you, say that. I'll bet you Scott DeMore had probably had something to do I'm with that, sorry. putting that deal together. Scott's a real good guy. He trained, used to train some of the young athletes for TNA. Mm. I'll tell you what, you know, if Impact's interested, hey, man, give a dog a call right here, bro, if you want somebody to help run your back area there because what needs to be in this business, then you need to have guys who have been to the top to teach these young men how to get to the top and have the right persona and the right attitude in the wrestling business. Just because you go you go through camp doesn't make mean you're going to be a superstar in today's business, Joe. You know, you got it's. Listen, I wouldn't tell you know a Cy Young winner how to pitch a baseball. I wouldn't. You know what I mean? I wouldn't tell someone who's an All Pro in football how to be an All Pro if I've never did the game. Or you know, you can't coach mm-hmm. Super Bowl. Teach someone how to play right. the Super Bowl unless you've been there yourself. So that, that's, you know, hey, I'm glad Impact's back on. This business needs more wrestling. I'm still waiting for Revolution to open up in Vegas. Come on, Shane Douglas, Bill Townsend, let's go. We uh, So last week we talked about a little bit about Shane Douglas on the show last week where we, uh, we broke down the Sin pay-per-view and a lot of positive feedback from that episode, a lot of people going back and listening to that. I've noticed people love when we talk about these old pay- – like when we go through the pay-per-views, and I think it's because – and it's going to be similar to, similar to today's show – we get a lot of quick-hitting stories on a lot of different wrestlers yeah. because we're not going to talk about I, – I, I cannot imagine that we are going to have many – Evan Courageous stories, but you, you know, for that one pay-per-view, you were able to talk about him. We, you know, you have those little guys. It just so happened that was the first time you met Goldberg at yep. that event, and sure enough, uh, we get the uh, we, get, we get a little push from Goldberg, and then he gets named as the first Hall of Famer in this year's I class. I saw that. Mm-hmm. How about Bill Goldberg? Congratulations. Glad to see him make it, man. Bill's a good guy, good family guy here, you know, and it's all about you – know, listen, it's good to see someone with class get uh, get put in the Hall of Fame. As we get closer to WrestleMania season and closer to the Hall of Fame, I do want to talk a lot, uh, and we know who the class is going to be. When we know more of the members of the 2018 class, I am looking forward to talking with you about the uh, about the Hall of Fame and how that all went down for you guys in 2011. When you and Paul were inducted, and um, along with along with Hawk, after he had passed away, so uh, that's uh, we'll talk about that as we get closer to the actual Hall of Fame this year. Before we uh, before we head down to New Orleans 
for those uh, for yeah. Those the Hall of Fame is a big deal, man. It's actually sometimes a bigger deal than the the whole weekend of WrestleMania is based around the Hall of Fame. You know, it, it's it's a great event. It's listen, the fans get a get a kind of two for one package there. You know, it's packed. Where do you see New Orleans? It is going to be nuts packed. It's going to have wrestling fans from Sweden and Norway and Germany and Japan and England. It's it's just nuts how crazy it is. I've been there for a Super Bowl. I am looking forward to seeing how it compares to this. I know the crowd will not be it will the crowd will not be as massive as it is for the Super Bowl because there are I mean a huge amount of people that I think will travel. It I know there'll be less people, but it's going to be a different type of fan. I, I oh, yeah, it's man. you know bro, you, I, and I, yeah. you and I are going to hit Bourbon Street. We're going to go down there, bro. Hey, do you know where I'm going to take you? I'm going to take you to You ever watch a show Chopped? Yes. And you have Aron Sanchez is one of the judges on Okay. Shop. He's got a restaurant down there called Johnny Sanchez's. Okay. James turned me on to it, my son James. Bro, it is freaking wild. Some of the craziest combination ditches like venison taquitos of okay. all things, right? You can you can you're combining deer with Mexican, right? I mean, how many okay. how many deer you know run around in Mexico? None. <laughs> but it bro, it's awesome. It, and the fish tacos were awesome there. Can't wait to get down there and see Aron Sanchez again. A real big fan of the LOD and professional wrestling in general. So it's going to be a fun time. All right. Uh, yeah, that, and uh, I'm going to take you to the famous door. We're going to go there and we're going to do some shooters while we're, uh, while we're at the, uh, when we're at down there at the famous door. Well, in the words of Ric Flair, woo! It's you know what I'm I've only seen you I think drink like one or two beers I think at a time Bro, so I, when you're down in New Orleans you got to really do it up like you're in New Orleans I may have a drink or two you never know uh, one of the biggest things from last week I think the thing that stuck with people the most was your description of Sid's leg as you got into the ring and then when you <laughs> when you were Bro, it was like you're it was like you're printing the alphabet when you're in second grade and you're learning how to do a capital L. That's what his leg looked like. And if that boot wasn't on, I'm telling you, it, it, it was like if you ever watched the medical channel and you've seen someone that had the biggest boil on their leg that was ready to burst, that's what that boot looked nope. like with his bone ready to poke through. It was a nope. nasty-looking break, bro. It was, it was ugly. It was ugly. I can't do that. Poor Sid. Nope, can't. Uh, you know, even talking about that, it wasn't as bad as your eye story. You know, we need to but- call Sid. I, I, we need to call Sid someday. I, well, we're calling. I mean, he lives in a different state, so I don't know. I mean, he if he'd accept the call and take international charges uh, with the way his he's been thinking lately. I don't know well, if that's bro, something we can do. Well, I don't know if you need permission from the government. To right. That's we got to make sure if uh, if you can call if Sid will take calls outside of. Is he, does he live in Arkansas or does he live in Tennessee? Arkansas. He lives in Arkansas. Okay, sure, so sure. I, I don't know if he would take calls outside of the state of Arkansas uh, unless he gets, you know, billed, you know, a couple Yo, dollars a minute. Yo, good to get on so. here too, bro. We, the Vader. Vader would be good to get on here too. He's an interesting cat. Oh, I, I can imagine. So uh, we have uh, you know, a few of these guys were around. Well, actually, both of them, I think, were around when you uh, when you started on Raw, which uh, we're going to be talking about here in a second. I do want to mention also that uh, we thank uh, your boy, Hurricane Helms, gave us a nice plug this past week. He listened to the episode on the uh, the Sin pay-per-view and said he enjoyed it, and he helped in the uh, he helped trying to get you to your 10,000 followers on Twitter. We're over 8,500 
8,500 right now. Hey, we are over 8,500 right now, so we are uh, we're not, really not starting bad, to push. Not yeah. bad in the short time we did this. You know, nope. hey, listen, man, Shane Helm is a great guy. You know, he and uh, – Spent time with he and his beautiful wife down there at WrestleCade, mm-hmm. and uh, good people, man. He's one of the good guys here. He's a great, he's a great EMC, man. If any of the fans ever get there, get a chance to do the, like the breakfast at at WrestleCon or something, you gotta listen to Shane Helms. He is a funny sob, bro. He is really good. And uh, so that uh, that takes us to uh, this week. Yeah, so we're closing in on that. Before we get into it, before we get into. What happened on Raw back when you guys debuted back in 1997, 21 years ago? We got to talk about what happened this week on Raw because I know you were watching it. I know you were you were tweeting about it when it happened, and the uh, Braun Strowman. I feel like you're starting to slowly come around on liking. I feel like you start to like Braun Strowman more and more every week, and I'm going to take responsibility for that. <laughs> you listen, man. I have nothing against Braun Strowman. And I believe he is a true powerhouse in all the sense. It's just that when big, some big guys, you just got to let the wind out of the sails a little bit and mm-hmm. be more fluent. Yeah. You know what I mean? And listen, if they if, if WWE didn't get Braun Strowman over the last show, he's never going to get over. Right. I mean, you spent out of the three hours, an hour, 45 minutes, two hours of TV time on Braun Strowman, right? So you you would think that he would have to get over at this point. Now, did they go too far in a little bit of things? Yeah. But I tell you what he did do good that I really liked. He kicked the dog crap out of those boys backstage, Mm -hmm. throwing those guys into those metal doors and stuff, which they make a lot of great noise anyway. But it was really good that way, and the guy sold it really well. The part that was a little bit far-fetched that I think most of the fans in the world laughed at was tipping over the semi. You know, it's funny. I'm going to show you this video. Yes, I know that it was a gimmick semi. Yes, I get that. But they didn't do it in the usual way of having something on the other side pulling it, or at least they did a really good job of hiding that because I'm going to show you here in a uh, in a second, I'm going to show you the video that they actually put out. Uh, WWE has actually posted a video of the um of of him tipping the semi from the angle where it's kind of to the side of the semi or I guess looking straight ahead at the semi and you can't see anything on the other side of it. So they tried to cover but think about it, Joe. Oh I know it's possible. Yes, first let me no, cover no, let me just cover the fact that you yes, I am I am absolutely hundred <laughs> percent I realize that you can't tip over an effing semi. Yes, I get that. I'm not that much of but, a mark where take, I believe that that's true. Take it for someone like myself who's been a, a three twenty five pound curler that you cannot just stand there and curl that thing up like he does. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I get that, but I'm Look, showing right, you. Right, right there, right there. You think it's going to be that easy and that no. fast for him to do that? No. No, but I'm telling you, they did good work with the camera to yes, show you from straight ahead and go, "Look, hey, here we're covering all of the different angles. Yes, this is absolutely real." And you kind of look, okay, you know what? Like they're, where? Listen, how did how did you guys do it? Like what did you masters. do? They're the masters. They're the masters of doing that. I, listen, I give them all the credit, but you got to realize, man. Look at listen. Hunter was a pretty strong guy in the legs, right? Blew his quad out, no problem. Vince even. Just running down to the ring, who was a workout workoutaholic, mm-hmm. blew out both quads jumping into the ring. Yeah. So, I mean, and so for someone to conceivably believe that a guy, after throwing around, after an hour and a half of beating up people, for one, 
<laughs> Throwing guys into the back doors is going to be able to almost curl a semi and push it over. Right. I mean, it, but but it's great entertainment. It is. And, and, you know, and I think, I think people are finally starting to come around, man. If they keep him, like I say, remember we talked about before, Joe, keeping someone in their lane. If they keep him in his lane, as far as promos go and everything else, he will get over huge. You think there's any shot that he wins the title at uh, the Royal Rumble? You think they put it on him to switch some switch some things up and give us a uh, different look at what uh, is the rumble? The rumble is the twenty eighth, so it's two I'll, weeks. I, yeah, two weeks. two weeks. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know, bro. I don't, I don't know if he's there yet to beat Brock. He may be close. Maybe hey, listen, man. Maybe they do something really big twist and have he and Kane tag up on Rock Brock. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And turn that way, they become a tag team. You never know. That wouldn't be the worst thing for Strowman to tag up with Kane for a little bit. You know what I mean? Kane's Glenn's a good wrestler, Kane is, you know. So, man, I don't know. But you know what? Stranger things happen. Hey, it wouldn't surprise me if he did come away with the belt from Brock, you know. And you also have the pay-per-view in between where you could chase some uh – you know, you could change some things up. So, you know, yeah, you, you have the pay-per-view in between. I, I, I don't know if it's Fastlane or I'd have to look which one the Raw pay-per-view is, if it's Fastlane or Elimination Chamber that Raw's doing in between. So, one of – but you do have a chance to get the belt off of him, and you could also do the one-on-one rematch, too, at mm-hmm. WrestleMania. So, it wouldn't be the – you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing to put the belt on him and just see what it, it does because the all, crowd loves him. It all – yeah, that's that's the thing. We got to say if the crowd loves him more than Lesnar, then, mm-hmm. then you do it. But if they don't, then you don't they yeah. don't change it, you know. So there you go, a uh, little look into the week that was in Monday Night Raw. I think we got uh, all of our stuff out of the uh, out of the way. So we are uh, yeah, we are going to uh, get in, get on with the program. As I said, it is the 25th birthday, or I guess the 25th year of Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw debuted actually last week was 25 years. It originally aired January 11th, 1993. Wow. It uh, replaced Prime Time Wrestling. So you guys had Prime Time Wrestling every Monday. And then they decided to close up shop on that and then launch Monday Night Raw. I, I, I know you guys did an awful lot of stuff back in the day on primetime wrestling. So I know there's no, you know, I know we can do an entire episode on things with that. One of the, uh, one of the videos I saw from primetime wrestling was before you went and did the show with uh, Sean Mooney. That mm. you when you did the podcast with Sean oh, Mooney, yeah, sure, sure. when you and Hawk are teaching him how to make protein shakes, and they bro, some of the crap we threw in that blender it was disgusting. It was, yeah, it was. But Hawk disgusting. drank it all, didn't he? Oh, he drank it. It was disgusting. Ooh. Yeah, man. There was, so there was, yeah, you guys had memories from there. You guys had memories during your run. You guys were in the WWF in '91 and '92, mm-hmm. so you guys had your run then when primetime wrestling yeah. was was the show. One of the most underrated announcers in our business, Sean Mooney. Sean Mooney was freaking awesome. And that's you awesome. know that's a guy that will get out. Was his passion though? Was his passion wrestling, or you did know, he want to do? I, you know, I think he was a normal sports guy. Right, he was a sports guy, and he loved it. I think you know when he got into wrestling, it was probably, you know, he didn't plan on it. But next thing you know, yeah. he was doing announcing for wrestling, and, he, and 
Listen, it was his delivery. Sean Mooney's delivery was mm-hmm. freaking great, you yeah. know, when we would do stuff on TV. And that's what was the impressive thing with Sean. Now, Sean. you, like I said earlier, 91 and 92, you guys debuted uh, in June of 1990 with the WWF. You went on the title run in 91 mm-hmm. and then ended up losing the titles in 92. And then shortly after the SummerSlam in London, that is when Hawk left. That's when you've started to finish up the dates for Hawk. And then you got hurt. And then that's when you kind of sat out a couple years while Hawk was over in Japan. So I guess back in 92, as you were finishing up those dates, was there any talk then of Monday Night Raw being a thing or ending primetime wrestling? Or is that something that you would have even cared about or been privy to? No, you know, back then, Joe, you got to understand, man, when, when Ellering and I went to do TV, I, I forget it, uh, we were in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And we went to we were at Hershey Park Arena, and we went to do uh, TV. And then uh, Hawk never showed up, and he called in and basically said, hey, I'm done. You know, I felt it was my obligation to finish out the date, so I did for the WWF at the time. And there was actually talk that day. I had a slight, quick conversation with Vince about me possibly going singles. Mm-hmm. Doing something like that. But I didn't know where Hawk's head was at. I didn't know if we were all the way done yet. I didn't know if we were, you know, what we were going to do as far as tag team went. I didn't even know Hawk was even going to go to Japan. All that I knew is I said, well, crap. I need to, if I'm going to leave here too, leave on good terms with the office. So I'll finish out the dates that Hawk and I had booked together. And I knew we had a Japan tour coming mm-hmm. up, so I had to go do that. Yeah. So, so that was my focus back then. So, yes. And by the way, a picture surfaced this week. I actually, a friend sent it to me before I saw a few other places. It surfaced a few other places. And I guess this is back in 92, and it's something that we'll, I'm sure that we will cover down the road, of you tagging with Crush. Mm. And I guess this would have been after Hawk left in 92. You yeah. and Crush were a very short-lived tag team before you then left the company. I think at that time, if I'm not mistaken, I think Demolition was already gone, too, at that time. And Crush was there just kind of in limbo by himself. You know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. they were thinking, well, maybe, hey, maybe Animal and Crush can get together and do something. And uh, for whatever reason, they, they stopped doing it. But we, we did, a, like, what, a, a match or two together? Yeah, somebody sent this to me. A pro wrestling mags and photos sent me this picture. I, I, I mean, you could probably look at it and tell me what year it would have been. I'm guessing that's that is '92 of you and Crush yeah. as a uh, as a tag team. Yeah, together. It's, it's it's right around that time together. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's when Crush had the the singlet tights and all that stuff. Yeah, that was, that was post demolition days for him. So you know they they tried something there, but again, like I you know the original question you. You didn't care what TV show you were on. You were just told when to show up and what to do, uh, right? It was a job, man. You, you, you don't care if it's if, if it's what – it could be Dickie doing the Dome's right. wrestling show. You know, you don't care. But, but you know, this was the getting close to the birth of Raw, right. you know. Okay, so what what leads me to asking that and bringing up primetime wrestling, I just uh, – very briefly, I'm, I'm wondering, when you show up for a taping of primetime wrestling – what time are you getting there? What time is the taping being done? Because primetime wrestling wasn't live, right? No. no okay. That was so all recorded. It's all pre-recorded. So what time are you getting there? How many are you taping in a day? Do you know if you're working when you show up? How? What is well, a day like in primetime wrestling? Because I'm going to ask you mm-hmm. soon what a day was like in, in Raw in 97. So what was prime? T- what was well, a day for primetime wrestling? Primetime like? wrestling was more brutal, man, because like when Hawk and I used to get there, first of all, you had to be there by like 11.30 or 12. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole day thing because you weren't getting out of there until 11.30 or 12 that night. 
okay? And some of like us who was in demand for doing promos, because Hawk and I were pretty good at doing our own promos back then, they used to have rooms set up in the back. I'm not kidding you, probably 20 to 30 little cubicle rooms with cameras in there, and they would do promos almost for every cable station in the country. You, or every market in the country, really? you were saying this state and this state and, mm-hmm. you know, XYZ cable here and, you know, WXY here. Just everything all over the place, man. And so we would be doing promos the whole day. Then they would say, LOD, you're up. And we'd have to get ready to go out and do our match. And if we didn't finish our promos then, we had to go back and finish our promos after. It was just, it was monotonous. But, you know, hey, it, it is what it is. You You would do a bunch of shows at a time, put stuff in the can. Sometimes things didn't work out. You would do things and do promos in case, like say if someone on the other team you were working was uh, injured. Yeah. You, you would do promos that was that would cover that match if you had to switch partners or something like that. You know what I mean? So, I mean, there was a lot of integral parts, but they had a lot of great ages back then. Man, you had Jack Lanza, who was great, another Minnesota guy. You had, you know, uh, Georgie Animal Steel, you had uh, Tony Gurria, you had Jerry Briscoe, all guys running each one of those rooms, Pat Patterson, to do the promos. You had great guys there teaching the young guys how to do inter- interviews and stuff. So you you and uh, Hawk did not make your uh, WWF de- or, uh, Raw debut until February 24th, 1997, I believe. So this is – they are only – they're five years into doing – Monday Night Raw at the time, and it just so happens that this Raw is going to emanate from the Manhattan Center, where the original Raw was, and actually where they're going to be doing some segments of Raw coming up next Monday. So before we get into that, it's February 24th. It's the night after the In Your House Final Four pay-per-view where Bret Hart, where I think it was, yeah, Bret Hart wins the... Um, wins the belt, right? It's or it's after Sid wins. It's it's either Sid or yeah, so Sid has the belt. So it's after Sid has the belt uh that night. So when do you guys get called? When when does the phone call come in to you about needing you for uh for Monday Night Raw? When was the contract signed? Well, you know, they would call us and, and set this up, you know, weeks before. Weeks before. Okay. Yeah, weeks before. We 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 kind of knew we were going to go in there and do, you know, I think they probably had to wait at the right timing for us to come back. Uh, from a Japan trip, and, and as well as booking the Manhattan Center, this was the first time they were going back in the Manhattan Center for a while. Yeah, you and by the I mean? way, let me just quickly, Bret Hart won the title at Final Four, which was on February 16th. Sid won it the next night on Raw on February 17th. This Raw takes place on February 24th. My not, my notes had it messed up. I went back and looked because I knew that didn't sound right, mm-hmm. especially having watched this. So, okay, so you get, you're getting called a few weeks ahead of time saying, look, we want to bring LOD back to TV. Well, yeah, and the Manhattan Center at the time was being used by uh, ECW Arena. You know, they were using that too, I think, at the time. And, uh, and, and, man, what a classic building that Manhattan Center was, man. Just the aesthetics and the way it's built up is a perfect TV building. And, man, we're uh, well, listen, you're in New York City, and you have some of the greatest fans in the world in New York City, man. They come from all over the place, from Jersey and Delaware and New York City to come watch wrestling in Connecticut. And uh, you're in there, and... The electricity in that building, bro, was freaking crazy. I believe that's the time we wrestled the headbangers. Yes, yeah, we're, and we're going to get into we're going to get into all of that. So, when was your first time ever in the Manhattan Center? 
That was the first. That time. was that. that so was that the first there time. was never another time that you had had gone through. So when you had gone through New York previously with all the other organizations you had been through, where in New York did you wrestle? I know Madison Square yeah. Garden, but where else? Well, I mean, when I would go to Brooklyn, I would wrestle at some of the uh, private Catholic schools or churches, you know, or the big gyms they have at their schools there. Okay. Because you know, Catholic schools are huge out there in the East Coast. And we would do stuff like that. Or you'd, or you'd wrestle in some smaller buildings. You know, New York's got, it's got buildings that you wouldn't yeah. even know are buildings for wrestling right. you know, it, it, that are hidden. So we did a lot of stuff like that. But we never wrestled in the, Ma- in the, the Manhattan Center. You know, we did, I had the Madison Square Garden before and all those other huge buildings, you know when I wrestled for other big, huge companies, but never the Manhattan Center. Actually, when I wrestled and we went, we would call and go to New York. If I went for the AWA, we would actually be wrestling at the Meadowlands okay. in Jersey. So we would do the Meadowlands Arena. And you, you know, guys at Shea, the Great American Bash, were you guys at Shea Stadium? Shea Stadium, one? Stadium yeah. out, out, outdoors, yeah, man. Yeah, for, in Queens. For the NWA, yeah, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. That was that was listen. You can't go bad at that at that particular right. time, Joe. You couldn't go bad. You could throw anybody on the card, and you would sell out a building. Mm-hmm. And you are so for the WWF at the time to go back to the Manhattan Center was freaking yeah. monstrous. And you got to understand too. I mean, the the business was taking a turn back then. And you know they were trying to really pop that Manhattan Center again too, and, and it was a great idea. Right, and they mention it throughout this Monday Night Raw. Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler are on commentary, so Vince McMahon is constantly mentioning that this is where it all began. This is where Monday Night Raw debuted. You're at the Manhattan Center, and it's a really special night too because ECW is invading. I mean, imagine imagine that TNA. Yeah. Impact Wrestling, imagine Impact Wrestling is invading WWF or yeah. WWE today. Never happened. Imagine, I mean, this is, at this time, it was WCW was one, WWF was two, ECW was three, and Vince was looking for a push to get you guys up over WCW, which wouldn't happen for another year. You guys were a year away from that happening, and so he brings in the competition. To help push them over, and yeah, ECW needed it too. But you, you know, you're reaching out to Paul Heyman and having him bring his guys into well, essentially his building. I mean, in his, you know, it's it's a building that suits ECW that ECW had wrestled in, and you're bringing them in, and you're starting a feud between Paul Heyman and Jerry Lawler. Which, I mean, looking back at it now, 21 years later, and knowing all the history that those two have had together in the WWF and the WWE, is it's. You know, it, like this is the night when it kind of started. I mean, this is – would this have been Paul Heyman's first time in the WWF? Well, yeah, because back then, you know, before Paul Heyman started ECW, you know, Paul Heyman was a photographer in the wrestling business, you know. So when EC, I remember that time back when ECW was trying to do the takeover, you know. Yeah. Listen, nobody ever went back then in the WWF's backyard. Right. I mean, the NWA did a little bit, you know, or slash WCW. They did a little bit when we would go in there and do like a Shea Stadium with stuff with the Great American Bashes. You know, when you had a loaded card, then, you know, of course, Shea would open his doors up and say, yeah, come on in. But, man, to do uh, to, to run the Manhattan Center was pretty gutsy for ECW, man. It was a big, it was a big gamble because, mm-hmm. you know, Vince could call any one of those buildings and say, hey, don't let anybody in. Yeah. You know, and he, he never did that. You know, and it was smart on his part to welcome the competition. And listen, man, you know, Vince – when he was doing play-by-play back then, he knew exactly what the point 
He wanted to get across, so that's why he handled he handled everything himself. Yeah. So you show up. What time would you have shown up then for this? Because Vince McMahon's playing it up the whole time that there's a big surprise later in the night. The big surprise would end up being you and Hawk making your uh, return to the WWF. So when do you guys return? You're you're not hiding in a limo for seven no, hours. No, no, man. Right? We, we were there early with everybody okay. else. Yeah. So this is only a surprise to the audience. It's not a surprise to anybody backstage. Well, you know, usually when you get back there that early in New York, it's a little different. A lot of places, they're not really hanging around mm-hmm. 10 hours before you get on TV. You know, so it's it was easy to come in there. You know, Joe, I, I, t- I tell you what – well, we used to wrestle Madison Square Garden, right? Mm-hmm. When we were the main event, okay. The main event used to leave out of an ambulance because there were so many fans waiting by the back door. We would get dropped off by a cab because we used to stay at the Ramad Inn on Forty Eighth and Eighth. We would get in an ambulance. They would take us and drop us off around the corner by our hotel. Really? Yeah, it was so crowded and nuts. That you had to leave by ambulance, otherwise yeah. you would have never got out. It would if you're driving a car, people are going to be slapping at the hours, window trying hours. to get you guys out. If you're in an ambulance, people are moving out of the way for an ambulance. you got to understand, the way the building was set up in the garden and everything else, there, it was a circular drive up, and you had to back your car on the way down. It was horrendous parking, or you had to park across the street. If we had to park across the street in the garage, you'd never get into your car. How did you ever drive a car in New York? Oh, well... Bro, you drive a car everywhere. I mean, no. <laughs> I'm not driving a car in New York. I'm not. If I go no. to New York, it's just it's Uber and taxis no, and everything. Yeah, but yeah. But, but, yeah, unless you get in a cab like we did right. one time, and there was a guy that came in from China that was there for two days. He's driving a cab in New York. And he can't speak English. <laughs> you got to show him a picture where he wanted to go. You know. So you guys get backstage there. I don't. I don't know how much of uh, the '97 February '97. WWF roster I need to remind you of, uh, but you guys show up there. I mean, any remember? Uh, do you remember any of the guys that you walk in? I mean, friends of yours that you see and you remember as soon as you walk in there well, that I mean, day. You know, I saw Jake Roberts right away yeah. and your usual office guys for Vince, you know, Pat yeah. Patterson, Jerry Briscoe, and, you know, and, and guys like that. Yeah. You know, all well, because the first match is the first match of the night are the new Blackjacks, which is Barry Wyndham and, and who we now know as John Bra- JBL, John Bradshaw mm-hmm. Layfield. So I, I knew that you know, I think you that was would, one of the first. Would, I think it's one of the first my, times I met JBL. He wasn't over that. I mean, he went from being Justin the Hawk Bradshaw and then was yeah. slowly, he kept trying to find himself. And you look then, I mean, it's 97, and he still yeah. probably didn't find himself for almost another, I mean, it was almost another decade before, I mean, yeah, he was in the ACA, but before he became that big singles cowboy, guy. man. Big rugged cowboy. It, it took, I mean, it did take him for forever, but, you know, you talk about the guys that were loyal to Vince over all the years. Yeah, I mean, he was, yeah. he's been loyal to Vince yeah, all, all these years. Man. So, I mean, that yeah, so that's the first time you meet him, but then you see Barry in that gimmick, too. After and I wrestled Barry a bunch of times right. down in Tampa, down in Florida, and, and, in, and with the NWA with Crockett. You know, there's a lot of great guys on the card. I mean, listen, in, in this business, you're past cross all the time. Mm-hmm. You will see guys all the time that you've been buddies with, you've traveled with. Like Barry, I remember sitting at a bar in San Antonio, Texas with Barry and flipping through the Rolodex of, of shots and stopping, bam. Okay, we'll have this one. You know what I mean? That's the kind of guy Barry Window was. You know, Barry was great. So yeah, and then they're they're facing the Godwins in the opening match. Henry and Phineas Godwin. Um, First time I met those guys. Too. Really? Yeah. That's that's Mark Dennis Knight and Mark Canterbury, right? Yes. Yes. And you didn't because they they did have a run before that in WCW. They were yeah, but we never I never ran into them though. You never so you never ran into them. They were what were they? The Shanghai Knights? Ah, uh, bro, I couldn't tell you. 
Because I'm trying to think. That's the I, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know what their gimmick was before the Godwins. I thought they'd been the Godwins or whole Tex, career. Tex uh, Slaginger and Shanghai Pierce. Who, Tex who's, and who's Shang- of that name? Shanghai Pierce. Shanghai that was Pierce. Henry's yes. name? That was they Henry's were masked. Name. <laughs> I don't know who was who. I'm not sure. I, I can I can look that up too and see which uh, one was which I at the tell time. You, I can tell you because they they call Phineas. Mark was Mark was Shanghai. I was going to say they call Phineas Tex. Okay, yeah, so, so that that would have been who Phineas was or who uh, Dennis awesome. Knight was. They were uh, they made their debut in November of 1992. With W, uh, so that would have been in WCW, mm-hmm. and they were around. I'm looking Back. there in '94 as well. If you look at your, been, you guys would have been WWF, and then would have Japan. Or, uh, or I was away too. Yeah, you years. were you were away, so and the I, Hawks so was a in lot Japan. Of, so a lot, of, a lot of guys started like that. I was even in the wrestling business, man. I was just, <coughs> I was coaching. So you walk <laughs> in and you do. I mean, you see these guys. You see a big guy like JBL. You see big guys like the Godwins and. You know, it's. I would imagine looking at that, you have to be thinking to yourself: Here's a lot of big opponents, a lot of other big guys that can match up. You're all about the realism of can these guys? Oh, you know, yeah. if they fight, are these guys? You know, can you believe that it's going to be a fair fight? These are all guys that are your size, if not even a little bigger. Well, yeah, man. I, and look, we look at the Godwins. You got two big old country boys, which every fan in the United States can relate to somebody that size. You know what I mean? You don't have to be built like a brick shit house for people to recognize you. You know what I mean? Though, though that's what people can relate to. Guys like Bradshaw, people can relate to. You know what I mean? And Hawk and I sometimes, you know, they're looking at us saying, I don't know how anybody can get that big. You know, yeah. muscular wise. You know what I mean? Because you you could be a guy that's three hundred and fifty pounds but have sixteen inch arms. You know, not that the size of your arms matter, right. but it does for, in the eyes of the Joe public, the visual sense of it, yeah. it makes a difference. You know what I mean? But yeah, listen. It was, arm size still matters. I'm, I am I, I go to the gym every day wanting to uh, make mine, mine, mine bigger and bigger. So it, <laughs> no, it no, does, no. trust me, it listen, matters. As long as you can press this control board right now, that's all that matters <laughs> with you, bro. Don't even worry, <laughs> don't even worry about the arm size. No. No, stop it! I want to put T-shirts on and have and be tearing the hell out of the uh, the sleeves of those things. Well, good luck with that, Joe. We'll, maybe if we get a throw a medium on you or something, you can tear that baby up or something. We'll see. Stop it! So uh, these two, and uh, you guys end up winning later on. I mean, it's something we could talk about later on, but you you end up winning. You know, the, the Godwins end up with the tag titles, mm-hmm. and you guys end up taking the tag titles from them in the uh, in the near future after your debut yeah. with that. But you were saying you were telling me that you know they were known back for the day for slopping people. They would have a slop oh, bucket that they bro. would carry to the ring. Let me tell you something. They had that slop bucket, and you know we were trying. You got to understand, Hawk and I were the immovable objects in our career, mm-hmm. and trying to find all different ways to get people to have sympathy for us, to give for people to have hope and have a reason to why they want to really see us destroy somebody. Right. And when the Godwin slopped us one time after a match, I believe it was on a Raw, they slopped us. People wanted to see us just kick their teeth down their throat. What was in that slop bucket? Oh, bro. Everything from lunch. 
Everything left over from the lunch that day was thrown in that bucket. Who's making it? Who's making oh, the no, slop? No, they have they have the uh, they have the crew back there, right? Okay. So, so when you, you yeah, know, instead of throwing your trash in the garbage, mm-hmm. your food off the plate, you you scooped it off into the slop bucket. I can't imagine all the bacteria and people's germs from spitting saliva and. Someone cleaning their teeth back in their food, you know, and, oh. and get thrown in the slop bucket. Yeah, and they would dump it on people's heads. God. It was disgusting, bro. You, you had to wash your crap right away, otherwise it would stink. Is that is there anything that has happened to you in your wrestling days that you would consider to be more disgusting than being slopped? No. No, the slop was probably much the coup de grace. It was, it was bad. That's awful. Yeah, it was, it was nasty. That, that really is. Gross. Bro, the oh. thing of somebody's excess food that they're throwing out to the garbage or someone that's it, – it's, it's bad. And do you know when you're filling the slop bucket who's getting it that night? I never filled the slop bucket. They filled the slop bucket. Do they know who's getting it that night? Oh, yeah. So does that matter as to what goes in it? Oh, bro, could you imagine? That's I can, I can picture Phineas and Henry right, right. now saying – Oh, good. Animal's going to hate this. We're going to put this crap in the slop bucket tonight. Oh, of course. Are you kidding me? Listen, we used to we used to know the people in the ring sometimes on the way to the ring when we were heels, who the people were that chewed snus or tobacco mm-hmm. and spit in a cup. Because we knew if we were the heels, it was getting dumped on us. Ugh. Someone spit with their garbage from their teeth and the tobacco and the saliva, and all of a sudden they spit in the cup for two hours with no napkin in it, and you walk by and they go, and it splashes on the back of oh. your head. Can you imagine that? Sometimes it gets oh, in your face and yeah. your mouth, and you just, you're going, <laughs> spitting yeah. it out. Oh, yeah, bro, it's not, it's not fun. You've, you've seen some, you've felt some shit during your years, huh? Yeah, bro, I've been, <laughs> I've, been, I've been through the gamut. I've been through the gamut. Oh, this is where then uh, this is where Paul Heyman makes his debut with Monday Night Raw. He comes out and he introduces some of the ECW guys that they have uh, that they have coming their way. Stevie Richards, uh, Supernova, the Blue Meanie, and Seven Eleven, the BWO, coming out, and they're supposed to be imitating the NWO. Uh, Stevie Richards is playing Kevin uh, I Nash. I remember that. I remember the Blue that. Meanie is Scott Hall. Uh, Supernova, later to be known as Simon Dean, is <laughs> um, is Hulk Hogan, and then 7-Eleven is playing uh, X-Pac or Six, That's as awesome. he was known in the NWO. Uh, but Stevie Richards faces off against Little Guido. With the uh, in that match, as Paul Heyman goes on commentary for uh, for them, are we going to talk about Stevie Richards and those guys later on at some point down the road in this podcast? Yeah, I don't know if we're going to talk about it today. No, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. I, I just, I you know, it's these are guys that I I'm, I'm wondering what kind of relationship you had with them in the Bro, in, over mo- the years most because of, most you never. That's the thing. You never were. An ECW guy. All the different no. territories, all the different places you wrestled, you never wrestled in ECW. So when you say a name like Stevie Richards or when you say Blue Meanie, for me, for the wrestling fan, I immediately think ECW. Mm. You know, you still say Dudley Boys, and yeah, the Dudleys have been around in WWE for so many years. They had their run in TNA for so many years. But still, you think Dudleys, the origins of the Dudleys, are ECW. So, yeah, guys like this, like the Blue Meanie, that's that's ECW. So I'm wondering when you would have first met him. Well, that was the first time I met Meanie. And we used to see Meanie when when they did have a little bit of the – 
the crossover between ECW and WWF, and when Meanie would be on the cards. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would see Meanie and those guys. Hey, listen, a lot of guys in this business, man, it's very cordial business. You see guys in the locker room, you say hello. It doesn't mean you get together and you BS with a lot of guys. You pretty much primarily are BSing with the guys you're working with mm-hmm. because that's where your bread and butter is that day or for that month or for that six months or for that year. You know what I mean? So it's it, I don't want to say it's very impersonable, but you, you say enough to say, hello, how you doing, man? How's the family? What's going on? What are you doing later tonight? But that's about it. You know, and I think differently, and you know, it might be a little different with social media because you're walking in there. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, you know, Road Warrior Animals not sitting around trying to find. I, I guess at the time would have been TNN that ECW television was on. I'm guessing you're not sitting at home watching watching ECW television or borrowing tapes from you know, or VHS tapes from somebody to see the latest pay per view to see what Tommy Dreamer and Taz were doing back in '96. No, bro. I mean, wh- back, right. back then, why would you care? Right, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So you're, like, you know, today's athlete though. Tell today's athlete they're. They're Googling everything. They're, yeah. they're taking videos of themselves. They're asking on their fan base, hey, how do I look yeah. today and all the other stuff, which we could have, be honest with you, we could have cared less because our fan base was so strong that we said, okay, what we're doing's not broke. We ain't going to try to fix it. Right. There's no social media to, to do no, it, to man. find out this stuff. Nobody's Bro, tweeting was... at you saying, look at this move, or hey, did you see well, that we, match? We, we had cell phones, and it stayed in my bag. I didn't even take them out of my bag. And I, you made a phone call when you had to call somebody. Well, yeah, because they cost like ten bucks to make one back then. Yeah, you know. So, but you, you but you didn't have to use them. The phones back right. then though were like six hundred. Remember, the first flip phone was like six hundred bucks. Yeah, it was. Well, I Ridiculous. mean, nowadays, yeah, they're still seven eight hundred bucks, but you yeah, can do a lot now, more shit on them. Yeah, that's a, a, a walking mini computer <laughs> right. now, man. They've gotten so advanced. <clears throat> but yeah, we, we yeah we could really care less because social media wasn't the thing back then. So, do you have and any so, idea what's even going on? Why all these ECW guys are there when you? show up because you're not in an angle with them you're not going to well, be in an angle with them later in the night so that, you show up and you see all these guys and i mean is somebody they're telling you like hey this guy's stevie richards he's not part of our company no bro he, listen the word in this it's listen just be the saying man telephone telegraph telewrestler when and everything was supposed to be kayfabe or nobody was supposed to know or Maybe Dave Meltzer may have put something out in the, in the cheat mm-hmm. sheets that this was going to happen. So then all of a sudden it spreads like wildfire in the locker room and in the cars. So we could have been on our own tour in the locker room or could have been sitting home and my photographer buddy or somebody would have called me, hey, Adam, guess what I heard. Boom, there you go. Now the rumor started. So mm-hmm. you figure something's going to be happening. And listen, when you get in the locker room and you see all these guys in here, you're thinking to yourself, oh, this is awesome. These guys, mm-hmm. they're really trying to go a whole new area or a different direction in the professional wrestling world you know so this also would have been because later uh the follow the next thing to happen is we just we're going through the february 24th monday night raw from 1997 this is where you guys made your debut and we're not there yet but leading up to it marlena and Sonny had a uh, an arm wrestling contest so this would have been the first time you would have met Sonny, who later would have uh, man would manage you and hawk i but don't even think i met her that night bro. you wouldn't have met her would no. you have did you have any previous um, contact with Marlena before that? Because uh, she listen, worked with WCW, right? Mar- she- Marlena, let me tell you something here. Marlena back at Turner Broadcasting, mm-hmm. when Rick Rude and Hawk and I first started for Georgia Championship Wrestling, she was one of the makeup girls. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
That's where I first met Marlena. Only to casually say hello, how you doing? I don't even know her name. And then next thing I know, she was in WCW, and then went on from there to. She's smoking a cigar, sitting ringside with her husband, dressed as a uh, you know gold statue. No kidding, right? I mean, <laughs> that's. <laughs> and I, I listen. That's, she, that's... She's great, man. I see her in appearances. I do you know like Comic Cons and stuff. I'll see her. She's got her her stroller with her. She brings her puppy along with her. Literally has a dog in a stroller. A puppy stroller, and uh, it's crazy to see she's got some little boy toy toting her bags around and stuff. It's it's pretty funny. So, I mean, I know it's the wrestling business, and I know that you you're probably you know at this point you guys are in it for you know you've been doing it for over fifteen years, so you're probably numb to a lot of the craziness. But Nothing you go, new, bro. I mean, you Nothing go from seeing you. the makeup artist at Turner. To now, she's suddenly managing Goldust and is married to Goldust. And is there any shock value there at all? Is there any kind well, of looking at I, this? Are you yeah. and Hawk looking at each other, going, "That's that's her, right?" You know, I, the biggest surprise was, you know, I remembered Goldust as Dustin's first match. I was going to say, "Is Dustin?" Hawk and I had yeah. it. Hawk and I had it in the Georgia Championship or NWA. First match he ever had. I mean, Hawk and I took a bump when he gave us drop kicks. He was right out of wrestling camp with uh, Gene uh, Anderson's son. And it was just – and to, to see him – and I think I think back then he was just starting to date uh, Terry mm-hmm. way back then. And then by the next time, you know, is when she was full-fledged in the business, you know. Do you even – do you see – the first time you see Dustin in 97 – is he in makeup by the first time you had seen him, or do you actually walk in and you see, you know, blonde-headed, no no ma- makeup on Dustin, or do you remember? Bro, I can't even remember back then if he was had his makeup on or not. I'm sure. Again, you're not was... following it, so I imagine you see, no, you know, you see yeah. him all in gold, and you probably look I and go, "What the hell pro- are you doing?" Usually, back then, that early when we got mm-hmm. there, because everybody had to be there at the same time. Everybody was probably pre-made up. Nobody really went to the ring. Or went to the building, all made up that early before the show. Okay, so that's yeah. You're you know you, this is your first taste of Gold Dust, who you'd later actually be in a tag team in a I team actually, with. You know, I, I actually was happy. I was actually happy for the Gold Dust. I mean, because he was, was over. It was a different gimmick, and mm-hmm. back then he was over like a son of a gun. Man, the music played, people popped for him. They loved him. Mm-hmm. Even when he was a little bit of a heel, he got a great reaction. You know what I mean? It, it it was kind of one of those gimmicks at the at the time now a society that flirted that line. Oh is, yeah, is it cool to be this way? Is it not cool to be this way? People and wondering what the hell he was. Didn't uh, know yeah. if it was gay, straight, or in between, or all over the place. Yeah, it didn't matter. What it was it was given. He had an unspoken platform that he didn't realize he had mm-hmm. that just showed it doesn't matter what you are, who you are, what your your preference is. You could be a stud in the wrestling ring. And know? 21 years later from this date, he's still on Monday Night Raw. Well, I, I saw that. I saw him come out. He's in better day. shape now than he was back in probably he, this time in 97, right? Physically, he looks better. Physically, he looks better and in better shape. You know what he's been doing? It's that DDP yoga. I, I was going to say, bro, it has to be yoga. Yeah. and uh, he. It, I, I tell you what, man. Dal- I talked to Dallas Page at a couple shows. He's doing so much better with DDP yoga than he ever did with wrestling. I'm happy for him. I'm always happy to see one of the guys get out of the wrestling business and get a niche mm-hmm. and do well. And DDP, my brother Mark did it. My brother Mark went from about 265 to about 220 pounds. 
You know, my brother Mark used to be one of the wrecking crew at WCW champ, and, and he did great, man. Listen, he that DDP yoga really works. I know a few people that have done it. He has sent me the DVD and the video. I have not tried it or started it yet. I'm, I'm very curious about it. I, I would be as well. I have, I've seen it. I've talked to DDP about it in the past. I don't know. I don't get how you lose weight off of it. Well, listen, the way you lose weight on it, the, the way you have to stretch and the way with the yoga part you have to hold the pose, you strain unbelievably. You just can't hold it for a second right. and say you're done. You hold some of these poses for minutes at a time, and, you know, you're straining, you're straining, you're straining. You're going to start to sweat. There's no way you can't get your heart rate up. Mm-hmm. It's unusual, though. I mean, you're not going to be freaking benching 800 pounds right. doing it. But if you want to lose weight, that DDP yoga works. Next up on the uh, on the card for Monday Night Raw back on uh, February 24th, 1997, it's Taz with Bill Alfonso. And I'm guessing this is the first time that you're meeting Taz, mm-hmm. who's now hosting morning radio in New York. Not just, not wrestling radio. He's actually hosting a sports radio show in New York. This is Taz. The they former, talk about politics, everything, right? And that's for being the guy, the you know, the king of the submission or the uh, suplexes. To do that, it's it's crazy that he is. Found, you talk about you know you mentioned DDP getting out yeah. of the wrestling business and being successful in something else. I mean, Taz has gone from you know just doing a wrestling show to a sports show and now he's you know on national radio in New York which is i mean now i'm saying from the fans perspective fans see it a little bit surprising because i mean he wasn't that great on WWE doing the announcing part of it you know but i tell you man listen in New York area where he's from up in that area I, he's he's a perfect kind of guy for that man you, listen new yorkers like to hear a little bit about everything and I, I'm happy he's doing it. I'm happy he's got the job. I'm happy he's making money out of it. Bro, that's what it's all about. So he is in the uh, – he and his manager, Bill Alfonso, go up again. Um, he's out there against Mikey Whipwreck. Fonzie. I remember Fonz. I don't know who Mikey Whipwreck is. <laughs> what do you remember about <laughs> Bill Alfonso then? Oh, Fonz used to be one of the referees. And uh, Fonz was a good guy, man. I, I think originally from Florida. Out there blowing his whistle the entire time. Oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. all he. That's all he did. Yeah, uh, yeah I wanted to take that whistle and put it where the sun don't shine. Man, it was a pain in the rear end to hear that whistle blow the whole match. And he knew it, and he he played and it he up, did. didn't he? He played it good, man. He, yeah. he wanted people to hate him, and they did. So following this, then uh, we get a little preview of what the main event's going to be, uh, where Farouk has a cuts a promo on the Undertaker. So we're going to get Ron Simmons versus the Undertaker later in the night, and uh, at this point, Ron Simmons has a feud going with Ahmed Johnson. All things that are going to play into the future sure, sure. of the of the Legion of Doom, and at this point, we don't even know it. But out next come the Headbangers, Mosh and Thrasher of the Headbangers. Because I don't think they even announced us being no, there. No, no, the whole the night, show, you know? Vince McMahon is talking about a surprise. He's talking about that there's going to be a surprise later tonight and is plugging that. And I believe that this is the Headbangers. They hadn't been on TV in a while, I don't think. And uh, because Jerry the King Lawler, I didn't go back and watch the uh, February 17th one, but Jerry Lawler 
is talking up on this. He's talking about, oh, this is the big surprise. And Vince is saying, no, wait, it's coming up next. And that's where you hear Hawk. uh, You hear Hawk's voice hit with the, oh, what a rush. And the fans then realize that the Legion of Doom has made their return. Bro, when you look back on that thing, when you were in that Manhattan Center, if you would have heard the eruption, talk about a warrior pop. Bro, it was freaking crazy. So this is your first night on Monday Night Raw. This is the first time that you guys are doing a show like this, right? And, because and everything else be, everything yeah. else before, anything you guys had done prior in WWF, I mean, Saturday night main events that you guys would have been on or primetime wrestling, all that stuff is all pre-taped, right? All yep. of that. So aside from pay-per-views, I mean, you're looking at a Monday evening show, TV show, and you guys are sitting back there in Gorilla getting ready to go out. I mean... What what instructions are you given? I, how does this well, go? You, listen, you got to understand, every TV show, every little bit of it is a segment. Mm-hmm. And we had our segment in our time slot. So say we had 12 minutes, depending on how the whole show went, they're either cutting time or giving you more time, mm-hmm. which you have to fill. And that's the tribute to being a star. you got to be able to adjust. Sometimes you may have 10 minutes to fill extra, which you got to – Make up stuff. In a lot the of headlocks, yeah. Bro, yeah. Or you may say, okay, we got to cut out half the match and go mm-hmm. in two minutes, right? So we had to figure out where we were on time for that, too, as well. But, you know, it, listen, with the pop we had and the amount of time we had, it was perfect the way we did it. We got to sell to the people. You know what I mean? We got to put the people over. Thank yeah. you for being there, the whole works. And, you know, when we first got there at the building, now, you got to understand, here Hawk and I are. You know, we know where we are and you know, what our footprints already been in the wrestling business. Yeah, and this and, is this is the first time you meet the headbangers, right? Well, when yeah, when well, do well, you? It, it was Jake Roberts we first talked to. Okay, but when do you meet the head? Did you know who the headbangers were as you were driving to Monday Night Raw that night? No, I had no idea. When did you first meet the headbangers? Back in the locker room. How were you introduced to the headbangers? This is the Headbangers. This is Animal Hawk. <laughs> are they saying, That's is this Mosh and Thrasher? Is this yeah. this is Glenn and Chaz? How Mosh, are they? Mosh and Thrasher. But you listen, man, okay. we all meet each other. We all say, right. hey, man, Joe or Mike or whatever. You know, we give each other our first names. But okay. normally, like with Hawk and I's gimmick, we were known so much as Animal and Hawk. Right. I don't think nobody knew our first names for about the first 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know? But, yeah, it, it was a very good meeting, man. Listen, we're total businessmen. We knew we knew they wanted to try to make those guys mean something, and that's what we try to do. Listen, the fan, like I say, Joe, I said it a thousand times, the fan, just like with Strowman and everything else, the fans are going to dictate who they want to support or not support, you know. And whatever reasons with the headbangers, I thought they had a pretty decent gimmick. Kind of nuts though now, but but it was the way society was going with. I mean, here I am saying kind of nuts with shoulder pads, mm-hmm. spikes, and painted face. But you got the kilts out there with the earrings and the shirts that are cut off and everything else and wrestling shoes. I mean, it was a pretty far out there gimmick. But people, young kids were wearing kilts all over the place back then, you know. But yeah, the good good guys. Oh yeah, mosh pits were huge. Uh, you yeah. yeah, you go to a concert and you're mosh, you you get into yeah. a mosh pit and you start jumping around. Yeah, that was Bro, that was the kicking, cool thing to do back I in the day. Back when I bounced at a place called the Seventh Street Entry in freaking uh, Minneapolis, I kicked Prince out of there because they were slam dancing and mosh pitting and you know out of there. You just pick him up get, with your hand and just toss him out of well, there. Well, or? Back then, you could open the door and a big breeze would come by. Right. And he could fly out the freaking door. Man, he was only like 110 pounds. 
But yeah, man, yeah. But but it was good. And, and the headbangers had a good look to mm-hmm. them. Quite frankly, I think one of them got hurt or in trouble or something because I, I thought their gimmick would have done a lot more than it did. They they would win, go on to win the title a couple times. They would hang out for a while. They were another team that would reinvent themselves a couple times or two, and then you know then. Chaz would go off and try to be a singles competitor. Yeah. I can't remember what the what the backstory was that. on that. He was Beaver Cleavage. Uh, that was the uh, the gimmick that they that they gave him, Beaver but quickly Cleavage. quickly got away from. And it was uh, kind of a the the whole that entire gimmick was really really crazy when you read into what had happened. So you get brought backstage, and you had told me that Jake Roberts, Jake the Snake. He was the booker for for this segment for this match for yeah. you guys. Yeah, he, he, listen, he was the booker, and he said, "Hey, listen," or let's just say he was. Uh, what was how could I put it? He was in charge of putting the match together. Let's say right. And we got backstage, and he said, "Listen, man, these are the headbangers, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna push these guys like, like you guys got to push, and uh, we'd like to get these guys over tonight." Like, you guys put them over, and we're sitting there thinking. Now, in my head, being a businessman, I'm thinking, this is Vince McMahon's big surprise. Now, I know we've done in the past in the wrestling business selling merchandise and action figures and all the stuff, you know, pillowcases, all the stuff, lunchboxes. I'm saying, here's the big surprise now. Now you want us to get beat one, two, three, right in the middle for the big surprise. That doesn't make sense to me. Being a businessman, you know, and I wasn't disputing it or rocking the boat. I just didn't – I wanted to make sure this is exactly what Vince wanted to be done. So I asked him, is this what you want? He says, no. I said, okay. Then I found out. So was – when were you guys given the plan to come in at the end of the night? When were you going to be – when did you find out you were going to be booked with Ahmed Johnson at WrestleMania? Well, you get segments in the TV show. Well, I'm saying, no, when did, yeah. you found out that you were going to lose this match, what, were those pl- plans already in place for those other two things to happen? No. Okay. Because, that's, because I think I don't know <laughs> what the reason was for us being told that. And listen, it was not about us losing the matches because we've dropped t- belts in the NWA, the AWA, and WWF belts. It didn't matter to us. It was why are we doing it? You what know. what was your relationship like with Jake? Because I know that you guys lived together back in the day. Hell, you guys were you know all part of the Legion of Doom with Paul Ellering and the original. Yeah. That's a lot of uh, people might not realize that the Legion of Doom always wasn't just you and Hawk managed by Paul Ellering. It was actually a stable yeah. and included Jake Roberts. So was there a falling out at some point? Would Jake have been trying to? Get one over on you guys. I mean, what you know, what, bro, because- I bro? I don't know what it was back then, man. I, you know, personally, I think Hawk and I took it as trying to uh, get one over on us at that time. There was never any heat between us and Jake. I mean, I, you know, I sat there. I used to live with Jake in the apartment right. in Atlanta, right? And had plenty of times where Jake and I went out drinking together. You know, a lot of Jack Daniels have been poured down our throats together and stuff. And I was there when he met his first his wife down there. You know, in, in Atlanta. At a place called uh, Shenanigans, right in in, uh, in uh, right outside Decatur, Georgia. So you listen, and then Hawk lived with him for a while, and I, I think back at that time was still the era of a lot of partying going on mm-hmm. with guys, man. And I wasn't exactly your partying guy, so 
do I say want to say my head was more straight? Yeah, my head was on straighter. I was when I got when I left my house, I was ninety nine percent business. I want to do business the right way. I want to done the right way, done it correctly. I want right. I wanted what the boss wanted to be done. Right. You know, and so that was my my mentality. So when we got told that, I'm, we we, uh, we don't have to. Sh- I mean, we don't have to sugarcoat anything. I mean, we know Jake's the demons Jake had. Yeah, we know the yeah. demons Hawk had. Yeah. We know that they overlapped. I, I mean, yeah. that's it's it's safe to say that those. That's what I'm saying. That we know Hawk and Jake had a relationship. We know. Yeah, but there, was, their there wasn't relation- any heat there. Is what I'm right. Saying. Th- th- that's the thing. That's why I'm heat, trying. Yeah. That's it's confusing as to why Jake would have would have done that. Bro, listen, it, it could have been Joe at that time as easy as a misser- misinterpretation where he said, hey, listen, man, it could have been, hey, we want to make the headbangers, okay. headbangers look good, so let's get them over. And Jake could have taken it as, okay, well, they want to get these guys over. Mm-hmm. No other better way to get them over than to beat the Road Warriors. Okay. That may have been it. I don't know. Jake and I have never talked at length about this. Maybe one time we get him on the podcast, we'll talk, talk at length and see why it happened that way. Listen, I got no heat with Jake. I hear I hear Jake's doing great now, and I've always wished Jake all the best. You know, I was been around. I knew that he had his twin boys and his, his other kids and everything else. Listen, I knew his dad, Grizzly Adams. Listen, it is what it is, man. It, that's what happened at that time. And I, I couldn't tell bro, I can't tell you what goes through a guy's mind, man. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what goes through a guy's mind, especially when all that partying is going mm-hmm. on, because I wasn't that kind of guy. I could tell you from the cheap seats now what it felt like having it done, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But I can't be the guy that was heavily into the midst of doing all that crap, because I just didn't do it. The match ends up going seven minutes and 44 seconds, and it's a double countout. Yeah. So Jake initially tells you guys that to go out there and put the headbangers over. You go to Vince. You ask him. He says, no, that's not the plan. So whose ultimate decision is it for the double countout? Because well, i got to tell you, watching well, this, it looks really confusing, and it looks like that wasn't supposed to be how the match was supposed to end. Well, I think the way we did it is uh, we did the double countout, but then we left them laying anyway. You did, yeah. We gave him the finish. You, so, you you end up hitting the doomsday device on Mosh. So in, yeah. in the end, we looked like the stronger team. Okay. By, by doing that, that was the whole premise of why we did it, because it, it, at that time, giving them that foothold was not the right. They didn't have enough experience at the time to give them that that foothold. Mm-hmm. You know, like w- when we did it with DX one time. DX was getting that push for the company after the dark year and everything else. So that's why we said we volunteered. Well, if you really want to get them over, they're going to have to beat us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's different times in the business where you got to make that business decision. Is it a right time or is it a wrong time? It was nothing personal against the headbangers, man. I like both those guys. I see them at trade shows all the time. They're great guys. You know, maybe if you look back in hindsight, if it was presented to us in a different way, maybe we might have done it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't saying we're not going to do it because we're troublemakers and we're trying to not be business. It was just not the right time in the business, especially with all the crap going on with ECW thing. We left the show better saying, well, here's your guys that were the champs. We just left them laying in the ring. Mm-hmm. Well, the champs at the time, I believe, were the British Bulldog. No, and, I know, but yeah. the Warrior okay. champs, okay. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They already had British the, Bulldog and Owen had the belts, yeah, had the tag belts, yeah. But it was, it was, there were guys in line for it, and here we come in as a big surprise. It would be better for us mm-hmm. to put our finish on somebody and leave them laying for a future. And besides that, man, we did a promo later on in the show in the crowd. 
They never did that kind of thing. Before. I'm telling you, and they they also that never aired. That didn't. I, I don't know if that was something just for the Manhattan Center because you told me about this, maybe, and I went back and looked. A, maybe it was a fill-in thing to do. Yeah, or I went back and looked, and there were there were a lot of video packages being played here, but there was no big screen. No, no, so, it was never on the big. No, screen. no. What I'm saying is yeah. there were video packages yeah. played on Raw. I'm yeah. going. I'm. I'm going off what I'm watching on the WWE Network right now. I'm going off notes that I have on what happened on that mm-hmm. show. And you have told me that you guys cut a promo later that night in the crowd. And I'm telling you, there are times where there is there are eight minute TV packages being played on the rivalry between at the time it was Bret Hart versus Stone Cold, yeah. it was Sid versus Undertaker, and there is a long video package being played there with no screens. In the Manhattan well, Center to show these, so might, that's lo- what I'm a saying. Lot of times, a lot of times, though, if a show is running long or short, and they have a package and something's got to be cut out, they'll cut out something. Yeah. So they may have thought, okay, well, these guys already left the headbangers land. We can cut out yeah. this minute and a half promo. You know what I'm saying? Or it could have been done while this promo is playing on TV yeah. Yeah. because it is live. This was one of the raws that was air that aired live during or this could time. Have been somebody that got hurt, and they said, "Hey, listen, man, LD, we need you to do a promo." Yeah. And we actually did it, Joe. The way we did it, we actually we got up at about the 15th row. And we're standing there, and the fans are going crazy. The promo, they may have cut it because all the fans were chanting the whole time was LOD, and you really couldn't even hear us. And we're screaming through the promo. You know, what we did, we left them laying this, that, blah, 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 blah. we're going to do this. You know, we're back in WWE, right. you know. And so all that stuff. But, you, you know, only the people there, I guess now that I found out, I mean, you're, I'm finding out first time from you, only the people in the Manhattan Center got to see it. You know, so hey, well, you know, and it may have showed on their local show, maybe. You never know. Yeah, I'm telling you, yeah, I'm telling you just what I've, I've, I did the research on this, and it never aired. So I'm not telling you, you know, I'm not sitting here telling you like, hey, you remember well, shit wrong. I'm, t- I know you got hit in the in the head a lot, but I'm telling you, it's like I could see though when you go through it all the long TV packages, they could yeah. probably that, that you could easily have seen Vince saying, hey, we're about to run this eight minute thing on TV. Joe, Mike, go in the crowd and talk to the people. Yeah. Give them something yeah. to do they while could, we're showing they, this they, on TV. They, they could have well done that too. Man. Yeah, they could have well done. Because we'll too. talk about what comes two weeks after this in in a bit. So rest of the night after your match, Tommy Dreamer versus Devon Dudley, mm-hmm. uh, Bubba Ray Dudley is out there as well. All three guys that you probably met for the very first time this night sure. that you're friends with today. Sure, yeah, man, yeah, good guys. <coughs> Tommy Dreamer's got a great company now, right? Devon's. Doing great business too, you know. Dudley's are great tag team. They're going to go down to history. They'll get inducted in Hall of Fame someday, if not this you know? year. Maybe this year they might. A tag team's got to go in this year, yeah, and gotta, tag team goes in every year. Why not the Dudleys this year? Well, you got a lot of great tag teams out there, bro. The, I mean, you know, you, there's a lot of teams out there that should be in the Hall of mm-hmm. Fame. I mean, so that and yeah, Bubba Ray, you've talked to him. I mean, you've been on his radio. He does the Busted Open Radio. Yeah, he's got and a good radio he's got show. The, uh, it, listen. He's got the performance center too. He's got the, the school, the wrestling yeah, yeah. school too. Yeah, Billy, Billy Gunn goes down there mm-hmm. and helps him run his performance center. I think he does Wednesdays down there. Yeah, he's got listen, he's got a lot of irons in the fire mm-hmm. right now. You know, the Dudleys will go in someday. So the Undertaker versus Farouk. Uh, he is Farouk Assad at this, or as now he's in the nation, so he's just Farouk at this uh, at this point uh, in a uh, um, in the main event of this Monday Night Raw. And it, the end comes to this, the finish comes to this, when Crush and Savio Vega interfere in the match. D'Lo Brown also is ringside. 
for this. He's in his, uh, I guess he's a limo driver at this point. He's in his little <laughs> suit. And the two other guys. I remember that. That's funny. The two other guys that were in the uh, Nation of Domination at this time. The two little white guys? Yeah, the two little white guys. Was it Wolfie D? Yeah, and Jamie. Okay, yeah, the the two guys that were in the Nation of Domination, all of them are out there. And once everybody jumps in the ring and starts to jump the Undertaker, you guys come out Jamie, Jamie and Dundee make the save. Jamie Dundee and Wolfie D. Yeah. Yep. So you guys come out and make the save. What was the reason given to you guys? Why are you going to go out and help the Undertaker, who's on the verge of starting the Ministry of Darkness, who's a loner? He's not with Paul Bearer anymore. He's on his own. So why is LOD coming out and making the save to uh, for the Undertaker? Well, I think it's an association thing, man. Undertaker was getting to be their top single guy at the time. Easily what? He's a few weeks away from winning the main event at, yeah, at WrestleMania. Yeah, so they wanted to have us go out there, and it's association with with him. The Undertaker was a different gimmick. We were a different gimmick. And I think it was to put a little seed in with the nation at the time because mm-hmm. you were getting ready to do a, a WrestleMania with the nation of domination. Right. You know? So I think that's what they were trying to do is plant that seed. So that's how the first Raw goes uh, goes off. What is post-Raw like? What happens when the cameras stop rolling and everybody gets backstage? Is there a post-show meeting with the talent? Is no, there man, anything listen, said? A lot of times, Joe, when you do TVs, when guys are done, you get your bags, you head on to the next town, mm-hmm. you go do what you got to do. Back then, we were running 14 to 20 days in a row on the road, not just doing TVs like they do now. They'll do a... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday now, and they're done for the week. You know, back then you were running every day a different city. It goes on. uh, The following week is over in Berlin, Germany. Mm -hmm. So you guys don't make that trip, or at least you're not on the raw mm-hmm. of that trip. So does that, I mean, is that one you can remember making or they say, Hey, we're going to sign you guys. We're going to Berlin, but you guys don't have to go. Do you remember at all? If I don't know if we went on that, I don't think we went on that trip or not. Cause if, if they're going to fly us and send us all the way to, I mean, we've been to Germany for the company right. before, but if they're going to fly us and put us over there, they're going to put us on TV. Okay. They're, not, they're never not going to have us on TV. I, I think I vaguely remember that. I think that first international tour, we didn't go on. Mm-hmm. We went on the ones thereafter we went on. So, yeah, they, they didn't have you there. So that's what brings you guys back to Raw on March 10th. Two weeks after you had debuted, you show up. There's the Titantron. There's the stage. There's the pyro. There is a, it's an entirely new look than what you guys saw in the Manhattan Center two weeks before. Crazy. Yeah, man, it was nuts. When you walk in backstage, obviously you can't see any of this. But was there were there people saying you got to come out and check this out? You guys? Oh gotta- yeah, no, bro. Listen, we knew all that stuff was going to be coming. So you we, did. Okay. When we, when we get to the building, and you go look. You know, listen, we don't know to the extent of what they're going to do. But when you went out there and we looked and we went out in the arena and we looked back and saw the Titan trying to everything, we just went, "Holy crap! Look at mm-hmm. this thing. This is going to be awesome." We didn't know how it was all going to play out with the crowd, you know, because you got a bunch of little glitches you got to iron out but man it was pretty it was pretty impressive looking yeah that's so that's the thing you're seeing this you know you're every other place that you've been and you ever i mean was there anywhere that you had gone that you had seen anything like this before no there was nothing this huge i mean the great american bashes were monstrous right. but for a weekly tv show this was freaking top notch all the other ones were just like 
mediocre compared to this. Even though we had great TV shows with the Horsemen and Flair and you know down at Georgia Championship Wrestling and WCW. Those are TV studios. But there are TV studios all the time. Even when we did them with Crockett and the NWA, we would do shows up in, you know, Winston-Salem and Raleigh and some of that. But they were on a smaller scale than what you're going to see here now with the Titan Tron. Is, do they bring you out ahead of time and do they play around with it? Do they say, look here, now we have videos for you guys as you're walking down to your entrance? Well, or you'll say, they'll, <clears throat> tell, they'll tell you before you go out there, hey, we got a, and you have a monitor in the gorilla booth. Right. And they say, look, man, here's a monitor. Here's your two-minute segment before your music, your music plays go. So we just know when our music plays go. We know when, about when. Yeah, our you can't. Music. You're not turning around though. You're not no, walking down the no. aisle and turning around and going, "Oh, which which uh, what they, highlights are they using right now?" Unless they tell us to look back while we're doing it, right, and acknowledge <clears> it. But Hawk and I really never acknowledged the Titantron at all. So when do you, when's the first time you ever saw your video of your entrance video? Well, right when he, when we were in the back. okay. So they're they're showing you a preview of it, yeah, saying yeah. this is what we got for you guys. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's I mean just the whole. It, it, was it everything that you thought it would be from the descriptions of what they told you, or did you get there and think like, holy shit, this is a lot bigger than what? Well, it's bigger. I think everybody <clears throat> in the back room just said, oh, my Lord, we're taking yeah. this business to way, way bigger heights than it's ever been. And it's at this that point, too. Mentality. Yeah, you have to be thinking at this point as well, like Vince is putting a lot of money into this. We're, we got to be going places. Well, yeah, man. I mean, at the time, we're looking at it, you know. I mean, between Nation of Domination and Taker and, you know, the Hart Foundation and everybody that was there, you're going, wow, this is awesome. Then you had the ECW thing, too, Mm -hmm. and it was just Vince wanted to make a statement and separate himself. He definitely made a statement and separated himself. And you, this is at a time, too. Shawn Michaels, two weeks before you guys debut, loses his smile and gives up the belt and walks away. Stone Cold isn't... Yeah, he's king of the ring, but he's still not – he's not stone cold. He's stone cold Steve Austin, but he's not, you know, this as over as he was. That doesn't happen until WrestleMania, so that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. The Rock is still Rocky Maivia. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's still – you know, he's – he you know, in on the, the March 10th show, he's coming out. He's still Rocky Maivia, and he's, you know, coming out, and – he has a match against the Sultan coming up yeah, at but, WrestleMania. Bro, the people, so look, the people love Stone Cold though, man, bro. Back down. Let me tell you, he, they did, he, but this is still before he's, you know, this is still before he's yeah. given stunners to Mr. McMahon. I mean, yeah, this, but still, he was. Bro, he's not drinking to, beer. He's not doing everything yet. So I'm saying this investment is made before the guys that really put it over the Rock and Stone Cold with the Undertaker. Those are the top three guys of the Attitude Era, and right now the only one that's up there is the Undertaker at that yeah. level. Well, Taker was just, I mean, we, Hawk and I were there for the conception of The Undertaker and, you know, helping develop that character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Taker, is, it was the, he was already a phenom then, you know. It doesn't surprise me he's lasted over 25 years in this business, you know what I mean, being yep. the same guy. So, and, and, you, and you knew that Austin was going to be a stud. I mean, Austin was just a funny character going down to the ring, and you knew he was going to be huge. It's it really is just and the rock the rock had natural charisma yeah I mean the rock had natural charisma you know being Rocky Johnson's son and everything else and being related to Maivia's you know you know because we wrestled for Leah Maivia quite a few times over in Hawaii right and everything else and uh, you know so we we like doing that I mean Hawaii is always a great place to go wrestle let me tell you right now but the, but with that name we knew and he just had 
Rock just had this fluidity about him and being part of that nation of domination was probably the best thing that ever happened to the Rock. The uh, On this March 10th episode of Monday Night Raw, Ahmed Johnson has a match against enhancement talent Roy Raymond. Defeats him with the Pearl River Plunge. And during the uh, match, the Nation of Domination comes out on the stage. Their music is playing. And Farouk is talking about his street fight against Ahmed Johnson at WrestleMania. Said that he's going to bring the entire nation <clears throat> with him. It's uh, supposed that. to be a three-on-three match. Ahmed Johnson doesn't have a team yet. And Ahmed is in the ring with Jim Ross, who isn't on commentary, but is a uh, just a backstage or a, an interview guy at the time. Ahmed Johnson says, you can bring your nation because I'm bringing the entire city of Chicago with me, and that is when your music hits. And you guys actually walk through the crowd at this point. Oh, that was a bitch. Because we were in the Rosemont horizon. No, no, this I'm talking about this. No, this the March 10th Raw. Yeah, that WrestleMania was. We'll get to that WrestleMania. This one is in Worcester, Massachusetts. Oh, yeah, where we came from that (sighs) building, man, was about freaking the middle of the section of the building. And I remember walking down those stairs. And it was a long haul to the ring. The and you guys also have the the spikes on too, and <laughs> yeah. there's nobody really clearing I'm out. Surprised somebody didn't get hurt with those. <clears throat> right. That's, I mean, I've I've felt the spikes. I know that there was you know, no clearance by the ramp when we got there right. to get over the barricade. Nothing. It was just nothing. And you're also having there. to jump over a barricade in those spikes too, yeah. which couldn't have been easy. No, it wasn't because those things will flip up. And see, people to realize every time we jump to lift our arm up, the spike will jab us on the side of the head. Yeah. So I'm surprised we didn't gaff ourselves half the time. times we did bleed a little bit, but yeah, it was it was a long walk boat, but bro. So whose idea would that have been? That was Vince's idea, but if you think about it, the crowd reaction for that right. whole walk was freaking crazy. Right. And I, I get that. Yes. It just doesn't but you know, watching more, it and But that was Raw. <laughs> Raw was doing the he wanted to Vince's back thing back then was trying to do the unguessable. What can we do that would, hasn't been done that we could make it different from any mm-hmm. other time? You know, and that's was his forte. So those were, that that was your debut. That's this is you know, and we're, we'll get into the WrestleMania 13. We'll get into everything that eventually happened following all of that. But those that was the first two weeks that you would get there. You would end up going on, as I said, you would win the you would win the tag titles from the uh, from the Godwins. That would happen on October 7th of 1997. It aired on October 13th. You would hold those titles until January. You would lose those titles actually on Raw as well in January of 1998, which we talked about in the Degeneration X in your house episode, I believe episode three in the archives. If you go back and you listen to that, how you lost those to the New Age Outlaws. And... And then you know you you had your you know you you had your ups and downs with the company. I know we're going to talk about the addition of draws. I know we're going to talk about the the, the storylines that you guys had with Hawk and falling off the Titan Tron and teaming with Sonny and everything else in between that. But you guys end up making a return in 1999, March 15th. The the Stooges, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, dress up as the Legion of Doom. You guys make your return on March 22nd, have another match on March 29th, and then gone from the company again. Tell me what it was like in 1999 working with Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe. Bro, I don't even remember that time. 
to be quite honest with you, you, know, you got to remember, Joe, back then I'm trying to keep my partner on the straight and narrow. You know what I mean? Right. I'm trying to keep him healthy and everything else, you know, battling hep C and all the other issues that were going on and everything else. I don't even remember. I, I mean, I remember faintly those guys doing that and pretty much just laughing because if you got to know Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe, Gerald Briscoe is one of the greatest guys you'd ever meet in, yeah. this, in this world, you know. And for them to try to paint up and dress like Hawk and I was pretty hilarious. Yeah, and so at this time, I mean, I'm, I'm looking here. How old would they have been then? Jeez. Pat Patterson Pat right now. Pat Patterson is 76 right now. So yeah, well, that yeah. would have been 19 years ago. So he's in his late 50s then. I'm guessing Briscoe is around the same age for yeah, that. So the same era. you guys working together with guys that old, is there any – I mean. You know, are they still taking good bumps back then in the in the day? Well, you know, pretty much if you got in the ring with us, you had to. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get bumped around no matter what. Right. You know? What yeah. was the whole point of them wearing they're, – they're in a handicap match against Shane on March 15th at Raw. What's what's the whole point? I mean, was was there supposed to be a longer run in place, but then no, Hawk, no, just, Hawk did something or it's what? It's just something to piss people off where people go – Oh, that's not the Road Warriors, and he did it deliberately, knowing that people were going to say, "Oh, that's not the Road Warriors." You know what I mean? To get that some kind of attention onto there, just mm-hmm. to see someone get beat up for a TV filler, you know? Yeah, because you know, you guys come back, you guys, you know, have the brief appearance at WrestleMania 15. You then challenge Owen and uh, Jarrett for the tag titles, but then you're you're just gone after that. So. Yeah. Was it a paper appearance? Did Vince bring you in and just say, "Hey, we're no. going to pay you week by week," or was there a longer contract signed no, no, that we, just we, didn't end up working out? We we had a longer contract. It's just that you know, for whatever reason, Hawk gets suspended. You know what I mean? It, it, it was always had to do something with substance abuse. And in those hey, three hey, weeks, he he did something. Yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah, bro. It's, listen, you would think that people would learn their lessons after the first couple of times. And I love my partner to death. But very back then, when man, when you're on that stuff, bro, or you're messed up like that, you don't think straight. Right. He, he could be the – listen, Hawk was the greatest guy. If someone was begging for money on the street corner, he'd borrow money from me so I could give it to the guy to pay the guy off. And he said, I'll pay you later. You know, and – but he just couldn't say no to certain things. Yeah. And that's just what it was. There's no other reason for us to leave the company. Yeah. And they, they tried all. again. They gave you guys another shot, too. May 12th, uh, 2003, on that episode of Raw, you guys had a tag team match. You guys were brought back for a tag team match against the champions at the time, Rob Van Dam and Kane. And you guys hoped that it was a, it was a one-time appearance, and then they didn't give you a contract again. Yeah, uh, well, I think they got pissed off at Hawk because he got up right <laughs> away from Kane's finish Okay, after the match. and. Hawk thought with TV camera was off, it was still rolling. And he kind of got up right away. He didn't really think about it. Listen, the match was good. The reaction we got, if the people, Joe, been in this, I've been in this business a long time. If the people, if that day, if that office would have gave us the belts that day on that TV, where were we, Baltimore? That I don't know. Um, it was Baltimore or Philly. Okay. If, if they would have gave us the belts that night, it would have been a whole nother run. And I don't know what reason they didn't give it to us. I don't know. Philly. I don't know if they didn't have the trust in Hawk to do it. I don't know. I, I tried to get that answer out of my brother, and he really never gave me a straight answer on that one. But that was that was the only reason why not. Yeah, that would have been that was in Philly at the first Union Center. Yeah, on, and, 
I remember that because I remember my brother coming back, getting pissed off and saying, man, he got right up from Kane's finish, you know, and I'm going to go off. I didn't even see it. I helped him out of the ring. I didn't know what he got up from, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I was worried about what was going on in the match because we did some good things in that match. Yeah. Um, and then that, you know, unfortunately then it was five months later that he passed away and you guys yeah. weren't able to come back on Raw and anymore. Physically, and then- too, <laughs> Hawk wasn't Hawk back then. Do you know what I mean? Physically in the shape, he wasn't mm-hmm. Hawk anymore. He wasn't, you know, didn't have the big old traps coming out of his ears and stuff like that. You know, he's, he was a lesser version, but still, the gimmick was still so over, he could have done something. You guys were, uh, well, you uh, had one more run on Monday Night Raw. When you were brought back, um, again, as a solo competitor, when you teamed up with Heidenreich or when you faced off with Matt Hardy when you went on those runs mm-hmm. you were a single or you were you were on Smackdown so you didn't yeah. you weren't on you weren't on Raw then what but what was the difference when you guys were back in 2003 for that one night it, could you tell any kind of difference backstage from when you guys first started back in 97 what the date or what the I guess Monday was like taping day was like or I guess it would have been live then so what, you know, what time you guys were showing up at the arena, who you were talking to ahead of time, catering, what kind of differences were there in those six years? No, bro, it, it was the same. It was the same. Get there early, get there by 12 o'clock, get there by 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, do your promos, get ready for TV. Because a lot of the stuff you see on the big screen back then were all recorded. Mm-hmm. None of those were live, unless, you, unless they said you got a live promo. Right. You know, and they very seldom trusted any live guys or guys do a live promo which is what they should do today because some guys do live promos horrible. But, yeah, you, you know, it. listen, that much of the wrestling business has not changed. You still got to go there and you got to plan out the whole show and do what you're going to do. You know, I don't um, – maybe the catering of it changed a little bit. You know, we, we went through stages back there where Vince was on this all-fat diet, so most of the food we got back there was real fatty and less carbs. Because his philosophy was back then, you burn the fat instead of the carbs for energy. So, Vin, if, whatever Vince wanted you to eat, that's <laughs> yeah. what it was based on. Whatever Vince liked, we got. You know, and that was pretty much the way the catering was geared to back then, you know. But it, 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 but it was funny. Listen, the wrestling business is the wrestling business. The respect in the locker room from the guys with us was mm-hmm. the same. You know, we always said the same. And, you know, I think, you know, myself, Joe, I felt kind of weird back there sometimes. Not out of place, but weird because here we are giving chance after chance after chance after my partner was doing what he was doing and then, you know, abusing the chance, mm-hmm. you know. And, and listen, I understand from the business, businessman's point of view. I understand from Vince's point of view, man, when you're putting hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars into a TV time than somebody and they do something like that, you got to fire them. you got to give them suspension, you know. What's and you know what's funny out of all of this, um, you know, even you, you had you made the return on Raw 1000, which was in St. Louis. I was there for it. Before that, you didn't even appear on Raw. Before that, you appeared no. on SmackDown to promote Raw 1000, which I mean the same company, same shows, but you appear yeah. on SmackDown to take on Heath Slater and appear on Raw 1000. So. Uh, this is, I, I would imagine, if you go back and watch Raw 1000, July 23rd, 2012. And so if you want to go back on the WWE Network and check out Raw 1000, I imagine that is what Raw 25 is going to be a lot like. Where you're going to try to sell a pay-per-view 
which they're going to be trying to sell, that last-minute sell of the Royal Rumble all night, while also getting everybody in. And you look at the list, and they have promoted a lot of people, and they're going to be at two different venues, and they have to somehow figure out how to get all of this into a three-hour show. Joe, back then, though, for the Raw 1000 show, they did a build-up to the Raw 1000. Yes. You know, they had... Which I don't think they can for this, had, for Raw they, 25 they because of the Sid, Rumble. They had Sid do a singles match, then they had Vader do a singles match against Slater, then they had Rikishi do a singles match against Slater, then they had me do the singles match against Slater. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they built that up, so then by the Raw 1000 show, I forget who he was wrestling, you know, they played my music and all the guys came out behind me, and then Slater put the brakes on and went back down to the mm-hmm. ring and then got his butt kicked, right? So... They did that build-up, but today you don't have the luxury to do that build-up anymore. And and the guys don't want to. The guys that you're going to bring down don't want really want to get in the ring. I doubt if, if Austin's going to get in the ring, not to wrestle or stunner it. He may we'll drink stunner, beer. Yeah, he may drink a beer and stunner one person yeah. or something. Or maybe listen. I tell you what, if they really want to get over. You should stunner McMahon somehow. You know what I mean? But it, like, I don't know what they're going to do to help promote the Rumble, man, because it's. It, it, it's a big show. You know, it's... It, I think the Rumble at this point sells itself. I it think could. because you know it's 30 guys. You don't... You Right now, I, I, I'm not going to read any dirt sheets leading up to it. I want to be surprised. I was surprised last year when Orton won it. I didn't expect him to win it. I'm, I'm going in completely unknown as to who could possibly win it, and I don't want to know. I want to watch the this. the girls' Rumble is going to be better than the boys' the guys' Rumble? No, because... I don't know how many of those girls, how many of the women do you think have gone over? And this is again, this is I'm not a I'm not a wrestler by any means. This is just from a fan standpoint. <clears throat> how many of those women have worked on going, getting thrown over the top rope like they're going to have to? I mean, I think some of that well, might look sloppy, and that's what I think might take away from it a, a little bit. A, a lot of the women, Joe, that's all part <clears throat> going through camp. You got to learn how to take a bump over the top rope, either the forward, backwards, sideways, no matter what. I just don't know if the wrestling business – I know there's a lot of comments you see on the TV, on the Divas. Listen, do they have a great show on the Divas? Absolutely. Is the Bella show a great show? Absolutely. But to say you're breaking ground and creating history and you're going to be the main event on a major pay-per-view, that's not happening. They're going there to see the main event guys. Mm-hmm. Now, are you a good additive for the show? Better than in the past for women? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You have crossed uh, new barriers and everything else, and maybe someday they will be a solo main event. But we saw what happened in the Money in the Bank match that had to be redone the following Monday on Raw. Right. Because it screwed up on the pay-per-view. You, there are no do-overs on a live pay-per-view. You could try to make it up on Monday at Raw, but everybody in the country <laughs> knew it was a makeup match. Everybody yeah. knew. And that's why the ratings probably in the toilet. You know, so... Um, I think the guys, Rumble's going to be good. Personally, I hate Rumbles. Well, we're going to talk Rumbles there are, next week. There are cl- we're we're going to talk. We're, we're going to talk. I'm, you know what I'm going to do next week? And by the way, I wanted to, you know, final thought on the Raw 1000, though. Working, what, tell me, uh, Heath Slater, what was it like working with him? Heath Slater was easy. He had an easy gimmick. Everybody was hating him at the time. Right. That's, another, that's one guy in this wrestling business. We all talk about guys that they don't push for whatever reason. They should have pushed that guy and gave him some time to get some real heat because people naturally hate him, you know, and then people actually like him too. Right. He's got really, kids. Really weird. He's got kids. Yeah, man. So, you know, I mean, and who else, who hasn't, like, someone watched, listen, 
Who has a one of an athlete sitting there watching TV someday going, oh, I can beat him, I'm going to wrestle him. But that's the way Slater did his promo. I can re- <coughs> Who dare challenges me tonight? Bam, oh, what a rush. People went, holy crap, now you're going to get your ass kicked, right? Right. That's the perception they should still keep doing with Slater today, man. Not teaming them up with some other joker that's not going to work at all or making him part of the Miz Tourage or something like that. Give Slater his own identity and let him do it, man. Slater was a dream to work with, bro. He's he's an easy guy, and it doesn't kill him to get the one, two, three and get beat. Right. You know what I mean? That's the most important thing. So next week on this show, it's, you know, just – I got to say, and I I was texting you this at the time when I'm watching these, your debut on Raw came at such a fascinating time in the company, such a time when it really was changing for the better, and it was starting to slowly go on that uptick to eventually take over WCW and win the Monday Night War, and, you know, years later, buy WCW, but I think it's starting around this time. When you do the Titantron, when you're starting to see the stardom of The Rock and Stone Cold start to work their way up, it's such a fascinating time. On top of that, I mean, you have ECW invading, which is unheard of, too. It really was... So, you know, it just Well, Joe, the difference <clears throat> back 25 then, in 25 years and, you know, here here we are today still watching Monday Night Raw. The difference back then with the the war per se going on or the ratings war else, you had a wrestling company going against a TV company. Mm-hmm. That was it. You had the WWF, WWE slash, you know, the wrestling company going against Turner Broadcasting. That was the difference. That's why they were smoking them at the time. Because the production, they knew how to do the production with Raw. And everybody knew this is going to be monstrous. You know, in the wrestling business. And it was. And the fans loved it. You're giving the fan a little bit of extra and giving them a reason. So listen, if a, if a guy had regular cable TV and didn't have that channel mm-hmm. or just had local TV, now you're giving him a reason to get cable and buy it. And to say, okay, I get to watch Raw now, you know. So it it, it was a, it was a good concept. It worked great, you know, at the time. So next week we're gonna watch the Royal Rumble. You, and so okay, you so do you 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 don't like being a part of the Rumble? That's what you're saying, right? Well, I don't mind being a part of it because it's a great deal. I remember when they were bringing legends in to do the Rumble. My brother called me and asked me to be in the Rumble back in like 2012 or 13, and I told him no. Just didn't Would that have like, been the 40-man rumble? I don't even know, bro. I don't know which one it was. I know it was a couple years after I got in the Hall of Fame. And I told I told him, no, I didn't, I didn't want to do it, you know. It's not that I have anything against the rumble. It's, it's just a cluster, man, because guys can get really – I've seen guys get really hurt in rumbles. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of room to do a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of weight in that ring. Okay, you so – I mean? <clears throat> that bad things can happen. You know what? Next week, then, I say we go back in time and we go to 1991 – and we do the show while we watch you in the Royal Rumble match. Well, bro, we, we, watch, we won't watch the whole pay-per-view. We won't watch everything from 91. We could do it. We will, we will watch the 1990. It's an hour and five minutes, the entire Royal Rumble that year. Let's sit down, and we will watch the Royal Rumble. Boy, we, all, we hated it back then. We did not want to be the first guy in that Rumble. You came in that year at number 19. Hawk came in at 16. When do we go out? You guys were both in for end, six right? and a half minutes. Whoa. Was that the birth of the Undertaker one? 
That was this would have been three year. Uh, this would have been three months, two months after the Undertaker debuted. So you guys are out there. Undertaker is also in the uh, match. He's in there for fourteen minutes. So we will. Uh, yeah, we're we're going to. I think this is what we're going to do. Hawk has two eliminations. You have one elimination. We're going to talk. I think next week. I was going to put it up for a poll. But you went and you said that you hated being in Rumbles, so we are going to sit and we are going to watch the Royal Rumble from 1991 because next week. nothing really happens until the very end when the last two, three guys they are in do, there. They do, yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about this next week because they they'll have storylines in there. You know, it's random draws, but somehow guys that are feuding always end up in there, you know, against each other. That's it's, what it, they always end up being. It's, it's, it's so shocking it's really how – it's a waste until yeah. you get to the end. I mean, it's really amazing how wrestling has, you know, so many coincidences have happened in the world <laughs> of wrestling over, you know, the past 50, 80 years, however long wrestling has been going on. No you know. coincidences, Joe. <laughs> no coincidences. They're just all pre-planned <laughs> deals, man. <laughs> so we, I think that's what we're going to have to. Uh, I think that's what we're going to have to discuss next week on the uh, on the show. We're going to have to uh, do it that way. So there oh, we go. Hey, you know what, Joe? We yeah. got we got a comment on, bro. We got a comment that uh, I talked to the guys at Pro Wrestling Tees. They're mm-hmm. out. They're doing the design of our new T-shirt come out awesome. for the podcast. So that will be available at Pro Wrestling Tees. I want to Pro see Pro Wrestling Tees T E E S dot com. And you'll be able to get the you know any Legion of Doom Road Warrior animal T-shirts besides the What a Rush podcast T-shirt as well. I want to see people at. I want to see at least one person at WrestleMania wearing the podcast shirt. Well, well you will. I you'll, want to see, see that. You'll, you'll see two. You and I for sure. I, have well, yes, I know that. I want to see though somebody that fans, listens to this podcast get it. and wearing it, and I just it. want to look at that and go, "Holy shit!" Somebody is wearing. Bro, fans will buy the water rush. What I was thinking of doing, man, is putting maybe my face paint, my like a, the big headshot, and a mm-hmm. silhouette in the background with the spikes with the say water rush podcast in the middle. You know what I mean with the microphone, right? And do something like that so the people can associate the two together, but. Uh, Pro Wrestling Tees will come up with a great t-shirt, man. I have no doubt. Uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, ProWrestlingTees.com. You can go slash Road Warriors and find all the shirts that you have right now that are available. And also, uh, while you are listening to this, it's um, – well, you, you probably also have uh, – you might have seen that, uh, Joe, you did an article with USA Today Mississippi uh, on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And uh, the way they are working with you, we are finding a date for you to uh, meet up with the Road Warriors of college baseball. That'd be great, man. You know, the Mississippi State Bulldogs head coach is a great Road Warrior fan. And uh, I listened to his uh, little segment the other day of how he was explaining to his team to uh, to capture that attitude that Hawk and I used to have, that if you you want something in life, you got to go take it, man. There's no freebies. And, mm-hmm. and to be true Road Warriors, and yes, it had to do with their – Stadium being rebuilt, but more than that, is that it shouldn't matter if you're home or away. You know, you'll take on all comers and you take them on 110. percent And uh, I, I give a testament to the coach, man. Listen, at, at when you're a coach, at any time, no matter what kind of hook, you know what I mean, Joe. No matter what kind of hook you could set to get your uh, athletes to follow you, mm-hmm. you use. And he just happened <laughs> to use Hawk and I and the Road Warrior thing to do it, and it's great. And hopefully, I go down awesome. there, talk to that team someday, and do an appearance. I'll even be in face paint. And you got to go maroon, maroon and white face paint. Bro, I could buy maroon and white. Got to get that maroon bro, and white face paint. Old Irondale colors, maroon, white, and gold. Really? Bro, yeah, man, my old high school. But speaking of that, Joe, booking uh, things down in uh, uh, for Mississippi State, 
it, a lot of people have uh, questioned me on uh, Facebook and Twitter and uh, even this podcast. You know, hey, Animal, where can I get a hold of you for some bookings? Well, you can contact me personally at my Joseph Michael Laurinaitis Facebook mm-hmm. page and private message me or hit me up on Twitter at RWAnimal yep. or contact me at bookprowrestlers.com and uh, ask for Steve Stasiak and uh, you can book me there. Man, I do a lot of speaking engagements at corporations, high school, colleges, and a lot of wrestling appearances, Comic-Cons. Man, I love to do them. But uh, get a hold of me quick, man, if you got any inklings and want to book in uh, Road War Animal and I come fully Joe, as you know, face painted, spike yep. shoulder pads, the whole meet and greet, the whole works. But uh, do it now, man, because my dates are filling up quick. You can email the show as well, roadwarriorpodcast at gmail.com. We've had people asking uh, about the, you know, they missed the Q&A episode, so they're going back and they're listening to it. So they're throwing us questions. We'll do another one of those. We'll, Bro, we'll hey, eventually do another one of those. Even but- our good friend Corey Inskip. <clears throat> yeah. He gets a lot of uh, inquiries, too, and uh, he's starting to get some bookings for me as well, you know, and uh, – he, he's behind this, uh, this podcast as well. So, man, there's a lot of great people out there, man. It's a great time. Listen, I love getting back out there. I love getting back out there to see the wrestling fans, and it's all about them at the end of the day, man. Without the wrestling fans, you don't have a wrestling business. That is uh, going to wrap it up for us. Uh, this week's episode, next week, it's going to be all about the 1991 Royal Rumble. We're going to go back and we're going to watch the Rumble because, uh, you know what? Hey, it's, uh, I'm going to make you sit and watch that. Uh, from but, bro, I'm looking, at my, <laughs> I'm looking at my grandson's wrestling room right now, the raw ring on my kitchen table right here that's right in front of your laptop. Yep. And there is, well, how did Ray Mysterio get up on that top row? This is what I imagine Zack Ryder's house looks like all hours of the day. Right. Just Prob- a bunch of little wrestling action figures. Probably yeah. with Road War Animal standing victorious in the corner. <laughs> there you go. That's what it's all about, man. So that's going to do it. Uh, Joe, take it home. You have been listening to another episode of Oh, What a Rush Podcast.